I don't buy much, I buy land, bro. Cologne, Germany. Four McDonald's every time I land, bro. Big J Rocks in both hands, bro, and all that. And I'm best dressed moving forward, yeah. Tiny Tass on, yeah, all that. Compton Cowboy, all that. Yeah. Big protein. 150 grams of protein. Y'all uh, gotta stop playing, bro. I swear, uh, bro. He gon' fuck up the world. Excuse me, but is that your girl? If she tell, that's a good referral. He be G be talk crazy to me. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Jordan, and this is Desmond, and welcome to episode 187 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and how it takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Jedi and Sith collections inspired by Star Wars. We got t shirts, crew neck city stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be catching up with some things we've missed on the podcast from the past few weeks, including the second season of Star Wars Visions and the final seasons of Ted Lasso and Barry. We'll also catch up with some major news items of future projects we'll see from both marvel and dc but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this podcast with a review and recap of the series finale of hbo's critically acclaimed tv show succession which is a show that we have covered quite a few times on the show and we most recently talked about succession a few weeks ago after the first three episodes had premiered on hbo now folks spoilers for succession because this season is wrapped up We've already talked about it in detail, again, as I mentioned at the top of the season. So we're just going to dive right in and talk about everything that's happened over the course of the final season of Succession, especially the series finale. So if you've not caught up with Succession, if you're still working your way through the show, want to give you that spoiler warning before we dive in. And so, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we talked about the first three episodes because it was so important to check in with Succession Mm -hmm. because after the third episode... We lost the lead of the show. Logan Roy died, and it happened during a very, very pivotal moment at Connor's wedding. We were certainly misdirected, I think, by the cast and crew, thinking that we were going to primarily focus on Connor getting married. Well, instead, they decided to kill off the main lead of the show, and we wanted to come back and revisit the series, notably because this is the final episode, or excuse me, the final season of this show but also just because so much has happened ever since that third episode took place over the course of the past few weeks and what's very interesting i think about this season of succession is that every episode after the death of logan roy pretty much takes place over the course of like a day it's like all the successive days after his death it's not like there's a huge time jump that happens here we don't fast forward a few months like every single episode focuses on a really really pivotal moment as we see the Roy family pretty much fight for power to see who's going to ultimately fill the shoes of Logan Roy. So before we actually get to the series finale, and before we do talk about this final episode, I want to quickly get your thoughts about just everything we've seen. There's there there have just been so many really seminal moments and events. We got an episode that pretty much focused on the Roy family going over to Norway for the Gojo retreat to talk about the negotiations between their family and Matson. We got the Living Plus episode, which is going to be this huge initiative that Logan wanted to see brought to life that they were moving <laughs> forward with. There was also the episode with the presidential election which Mm -hmm. was just crazy the funeral episode which we had been talking about and expecting for a few weeks there there were just huge really pivotal moments and i think every single week 
they had a focus and an intention to do something that was going to really just like knock our socks off and deliver something truly spectacular. So just kind of want to get your thoughts on all the events that took place between episodes three and of course the series finale and just like what were you, what were your big picture takeaways and what did you think about the episodes that they rolled out? You know, this is really, I think, the heaviest season of Succession where I'm seeing theories being thrown like crazy i mean twitter reddit amongst friends you you and me have talked about who the hell is going to get this throne to 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 and in, in maintain um i guess to be the head of, of waystar you know that's like the thing um of of this season and, and and especially since you know logan has passed and it's just been so fun to watch it really has i've seen some of the best theories of like any show i've ever seen with some people i've i've actually i've attended a couple of spaces that i was just like oh what are they talking about succession let me hop in here and they be talking fire stuff that could happen stuff that might happen and yeah it's just been a very enjoyable experience i think living within this last season of succession because uh one it's very clear that a lot of us uh really love the show it's just very good writing um and not only that but we we know after three seasons we know enough about these characters and about the writers to say okay they could go in this direction and it still makes sense and i love that about the show you know that was, it was like that of course this is very unfortunate <laughs> but it was like that for game of thrones for a while too right where you're like okay it could go this way we know these characters it could go that way and i really love when the show is wrapping up how everyone can be engulfed like that and we can all have i think input um, and so it's been it's been great to see everything play out week to week because things are moving up and down and left and right. But we have gotten, again, still to the very end, some of the best moments of television I think we've gotten in a long time, man. And it's been it's been great to see, again, these characters unfold or shoot, really the opposite, fold back up in some ways in in, in themselves um, and to watch. I think this just this whole thing happen. Uh, uh, so quickly it's it's crazy that we're talking about the the finale i'm like damn succession over it makes me sad <laughs> as well as much as it makes me happy uh to, to to see that it has concluded but it is it's 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 been great man and it's it's been a very enjoyable experience the acting remained i mean we have some stuff to talk about in here so that's just wow like i can't believe they did this and it's not only the acting either it's not only the writing. They've been doing technical things in the show that I don't know if people have been paying attention to that have just been astounding and very, very good decisions being made. And if you stay after to watch the end of uh, uh, each episode where, again, the writers or, or and directors are telling you, you know, their thoughts and ideas, it all just feels good. And it felt good um, to be here and to, and to witness something like this happen on TV, man. So, yeah, I, 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 I think season four is a, one of those examples of I think when you care about something, um, I think you, you also understand how and when to end it. I think that's important, right? We talk about that a lot. A lot of TV shows go too long. And so I, I didn't feel like that was with this season. I didn't feel like anything was rushed, really. I didn't feel like any anything was really cheated. It was like the writers were like, you know, I feel like it's time to end. And I feel like we have to honor it, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and there's a right way to do it. Um, and I feel like they did it correctly in my point of view. And so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy that the shows exist and that they gave us this show in general. But I absolutely, uh, uh, yeah, I absolutely love this season. I think for any lesser show, when you lose the main lead, the prospect of that and what that might ultimately mean, I would be totally concerned. Like, 
oh, so we're just going to proceed without our main character. Mm-hmm. I initially felt that way about Game of Thrones when, spoiler alert, Ned Stark gets beheaded at the oh, end of the yeah. first season. It's like, well, what is the show from here on out? And then you <laughs> see, like, there's so much more to do. There's so much more to tell. And in actuality, you're in the best possible situation and you're dealing with the best hands that are going to take care of all the other characters that they built around that main centerpiece. And that's exactly the case of what we're dealing with here in Succession. I was never worried mm-hmm. after we saw sort of the demise of Logan Roy and seeing the departure of Brian Cox, who has been the absolute pillar of the show and just one of the greatest creations in, in, in character history on TV depart this show i was never concerned because i was like well no the rest of this cast is incredible everybody is so interesting there's so many other dynamic stories to tell and this is actually the fabric of the show it's about who's up next that's what they set out to do from the get-go they teased logan's death in the second episode of the first season Mm -hmm. so we've been dealing with this idea for a long time now and coming into these episodes following his death after connor's wedding i'm like oh we are still dealing with the best hands possible because every time out they were just swinging for the fences and doing all the things that they needed to do to make you still believe that the characters that we had grown to know over the course of these past like three to four years were going to move and operate and navigate the spaces in which we expected them to. And in doing so, they are partially responsible for their own unraveling. And that's the delicious stuff about Succession. We want to see how they're going to fuck all of this up to begin with because we know that these people are just not serious people, as Logan told us mm-hmm. all those episodes ago. And I just found myself to be completely enthralled and totally wrapped up into all the stuff that they were doing. Was every episode a 10 out of 10? No. There were some moments where I'm like, okay, this might have, could have, this, 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 this probably could have been moved along a little bit better mm-hmm. or faster, or maybe we could have focused on other elements a little bit more. But by and large, I was just, I was completely here for it. And, and, even if an episode didn't quite live up to the stature of what I wanted it to, I'm thinking about like the tailgate party episode the night mm, before yeah. the election. That yeah. was probably the weakest episode of the season, but I the way that it, the way that it, that, that it ends with with Shiv and and Tom is like, oh, we might have just witnessed like one of the most nuclear conversations in recent TV memory. It's crazy. Exactly. So they always have those moments, even if an episode feels somewhat lesser compared to to, to some of the other ones. And so I thought that this is. Again, another example of phenomenal TV. They stuck the landing with the series finale, which we'll get to in a second. But I do want to talk about sort of our three main leads and just like the development of where we see them over the course of those episodes before the series finale. And we'll, we'll talk about Kendall, Roman, and, and Shiv here. But I do want to start with Kendall because after Logan dies, I think we start to see Kendall really want and step up to the opportunity and the idea of him finally I guess living out the purpose of his life and and truly taking the throne, we start to see Kendall take a bit of a dark turn, but he also becomes a little bit more cunning and wise just based off of all the experiences of what we've seen him go through over the course of those first few seasons. Because if you looked at Kendall in season one and even season two, it's like, yeah, this guy's not ready. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no way he's going to be ready to take the throne. By this time, I think that the showrunners and the filmmakers started to, to get us to buy into the idea of Kendall finally feeling like he's going to realize his potential and they had me believing because i thought like oh kendall might get it this time out like that was my prediction that kendall was going to ultimately get the throne by the end of this and we start to see him kind of go down that michael corleone route becoming sort of the godfather leaning into the darkness starting to become what i think people had feared he would become and try to keep him away from but now he's starting to like actually realize that and it even got to a point where he was willing to fuck up 
the Gojo deal and go behind Matson and him and Roman were also, you know, sort of co-CEOs leading mm-hmm. this all together. And then all the way up until the last episode, like they had me firmly believing like Kendall has upper hand on everybody. Like he is making the moves that he needs to make. What did you think about just seeing Kendall, you know, start to really take the reins and be the leader that I think a lot of people wanted him to be, but never believed he could be over the course of those episodes? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because really all of these characters are the worst people. <laughs> like none of them are good people. No matter how much you like somebody, you're like, you have you just have to admit that they're, they're probably not a great person. And Kendall is probably the the most definition of that, right? He's probably the biggest definition of that. He probably is close to the most assholeish of them all. He probably is close to the his record ain't clean. He low key killed a person. You know what I mean? Like got a body. He like and so it's 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 crazy that they have shaped. I think his story for 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 me in particular to be like. I'm at least for me to be like, dang, I'm kind of rooting for him a little bit. You know what I mean? Like when he when he gets on the stage and talks about living plus, I was like, Kendall, <laughs> is he is he is he doing this thing? Because I love the way the living plus episode is set up because you're like everybody in the show and every all of us as viewers are like, this is going to go so bad. This is going to be so terrible. And then you're like, he kind of just killed that. Kendall, <laughs> what's going on here? Like you said, he starts making moves. You know what I'm saying? He he is going behind people's back, but it feels very it feels very keen to what is supposed to happen if you're in that position. Like people, like people have done that, or people will do that. And so when he's doing those things, I'm like, yeah, this checks out. You know what I mean? And it feels like these are decent moves being made too. Like none of this feels bad. And so it it, it is so interesting that this show can make you both go, man, this. This guy is not the best person in the world, but also like you've been through some shit <laughs> as well. And so I am kind of rooting for you a little bit. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic of the show because it's really like that for kind of everybody. You know, you're like everybody is terrible, but sometimes I'm kind of rooting for you or I want you to do this thing or I want you to be successful in that. Of course, there are times you're like, nah, bro, you're not right. I hate you in this moment. Go away. You're the worst. But the fact that there are all those glimpses of of hope for characters is really, uh, uh, again, a testament to how good the writing is in this show. And to see Kendall kind of somewhat bounce back um, post the the death of his father is so interesting, especially with us talking about okay, who's going to get the throne? And like you said, everything there was a lot of lines pointing at at Kendall for a while. It really was, um, and it was never a hundred percent. You know, we kind of knew that, but it was. <laughs> It was ramping up, and to see to see that come realized, it was so interesting, especially given his trauma. Right when he's telling his siblings, like my dad, dad sat me down at seven and was like, "This is mine," <laughs> and part of you was like, "That's not wrong," <laughs> and part of you was like, "Maybe the the sheet that you that we got is that a line through Kindle or is that a line? Uh, is that a you know you you start to ask questions yourself, and I love how unsure everyone is." um in the in the process of this film so yeah man it's 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 been a, such an interesting journal or uh, journal but journey with kendall but it's 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 been a ride though i'll tell you that i mean they took every opportunity i think to really build him up to get us to believe as an audience like 
this really might be his time. You see what happened in the Living Plus episode, as you mentioned. He starts on a stumble because of the tweet shit from Matson, mm-hmm. but then is able to turn it around completely and just like bring that whole thing home. Even the episode at the retreat when they go to Norway and they're trying to, you know, figure out what is this deal ultimately going to mean? You know, him and Roman just decide like, you know what? We're going to torpedo this. Like, we're going to just completely like not allow this to happen. Now, of course, Shiv is also making her own moves behind mm-hmm. their back, but you start to get the sense that Kendall is just so aware of the situation and ready to be one step ahead and then you know by the time we arrive to the election and the funeral the guy is just like he's at the top in terms of positioning i think amongst everybody because the presidential election episode which is you know wild in and of itself he's able to spot shiv's antics you know from afar because of the tip that he got from greg and Mm -hmm. then the funeral comes up and we're expecting roman to have this big moment he folds and who's there to you know really again once once again bring it home it's kendall he's the one that's going to deliver the speech and say all the right words and 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 be there to deliver this eulogy and 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 be that face and you even get you know the the president you you get him saying like you know perfect speech that couldn't have that could have been done any better so i think that they did everything that they needed to do to get us to buy into the idea like it might actually be his time before they ultimately made it all crumble before our very eyes. Um, that that should you know sort of lead us to talking about Roman, who had a very very interesting journey this season. I mean, we know Roman is going to be the one to say the most problematic shit in any situation. He's always going to have the jokes ready to go and the the responses to fire back with. But where we find him after the death of his father is in a place of. I think resilience and reluctance to accept mm-hmm. the fact that his father passed away when they go to Norway. And they're, you know, sort of talking to Matson. Roman explodes on Matson. You know, Matson is basically talking so much shit about him. And is like, you know, I, I, I like dealing with your father a lot more. You know, you guys are just not equipped for this. Like, I mean, he's mm-hmm. burying them. And Roman just unleashes. And from that moment on, Roman is not willing to accept that his father is actually gone. He's yeah. the one that has just not dealt with this. He's the one that has not decided to cope and grieve in the way you know that pro- one probably should after the death of, of of a parent, and it all comes to a head at the funeral, which you know I think we should you know spend a little time talking about in a second. But what did you think about Roman simultaneously dealing with these feelings internally, but also still trying to keep up that front of being at the at the top of the company along with Kendall, still being at the forefront, still helping to navigate and maneuver and make these deals the way that the way that they needed to, but also, you know, internally the guy's just like crumbling on the inside and doesn't know how to how to cope and deal with it all. Right. As he said, he he pre grieved, <laughs> as he said, or he has pre grieved. Um it's so interesting how, you know, like you said, we are feeling the effects of Logan Roy post his death in this T V show. And it's I love how very clear it is when you see the behavior of each child of how how important he was to them no matter the kind of person he was you know what i mean like it's still your father and he was still part of their life it wasn't like he was like a deadbeat you know what i'm saying he like was still very much there he just was not the best person (laughs) in the world um in 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 that sense And, and roman definitely feels like that to me he feels like in a lot of ways, he feels he tries to neglect the feelings he had for his dad in almost the same way that his dad tried to neglect him. You know what I mean? Or in some ways neglected him. But what's so interesting about Logan is he did touch each of them in a way to say, like, you could be it. And that's and that is eating them up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In, in each in their own individual way. Again, Kendall does feel the most entitled, right? What does he say? I'm the eldest son <laughs> or whatever. But it's something about, uh, uh, it's something about, um, 
don't know why I'm blanking. It's something about uh, R- Roman that just he he has been so playful for so long. Now the biggest reality has hit him, and I feel like he has the need to continue to feel playful in a lot of ways, right? Like he. That is how he deals with all of that stuff. He's he's always constantly cracking jokes because he's nervous. He's always constantly cracking jokes because he's anxious. He's always cracking jokes because there's something underneath it all that he feels uncomfortable with. He's always been that guy. And now this is the biggest thing that has happened to him. And he kind of feels like he has to continue to be that guy. And, I, and, and it's so interesting watching the way in which he, he, he processes that. Because you can... We, we could all tell like this dude is not okay <laughs> and eventually it does erupt in his face at the funeral but it's like it's just it's, yeah it's just, it's just really cool i think and interesting it's like i love how different each child each each sibling is because of that and it's so interesting man and it's it's, it's i love kieran culkin has been going crazy this season with the acting chops i mean wow specifically of course episode nine uh, uh, I think which is the funeral and a couple other episodes but the dude the dude has been really killing it um, even more than some some uh, some previous seasons I think this might be like the season for him like he was he was really um, eating out here but it's 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 yeah he, he he's been like one of the more interesting parts for me because again he he kind of was groomed right like he was the person that got called <laughs> before his dad died and his dad was like all right I need you to do this thing for me he was on his way to the wedding when he got a call from his dad and you could tell he had those those weird conflicts within him too that's like i low-key might want to be with my dad in these moments you know what i mean or lucky might want to be on his side although he is with shiv and kendall in this moment so he had he had a really big conflict as well in in, in this season and it's, it's just crazy to see it blow up as the person who tried to cover it up the most it just makes sense to me that he also kind of blew up the most out of each of the siblings, but it's been it's been a, a very interesting thing to watch unfold. Yeah, you know Roman has probably the most defense mechanisms developed out of all the siblings, just mm-hmm. based on his personality and the fact that he he really refuses to confront real life. You know, this is a guy. All of the children, but especially Roman, their lives are consumed by the idea of going to meeting to meeting. They they only exist in chauffeured SUVs across New York City. They don't interact or sort of investigate the real world in any meaningful way. They live in this bubble. They've always been isolated from the rest of the real world. And so Roman, as a adult who's had to deal with development and maybe stunted growth, all of that stuff comes out this season when his father passes away because I think it's so resonant the fact that, you know, Logan tells him, like, I love you all, but you're not serious people. Roman becomes like the physical manif- manifestation of that because their father being the one serious person and the rest of them not being quote unquote serious people, Roman does not know how to navigate and deal with that reality at all. And so you see him start to lash out on everybody, essentially, like he's just refusing to confront the reality of what's happening here. He lashes out on Matson. He mm-hmm. fires the head of the of the Waystar studio in the episode. Then he, he tries to fire Jerry. He's just making these really impulsive decisions. And then you get to the presidential election episode where he is just like moving at a frantic pace, wanting to call the the decisions very prematurely and doesn't really give a fuck about the ramifications at all. And so it's clear that the guy is not equipped to deal with these high pressure situations. Mm -hmm. And it's also clear that his emotional, just his emotional liability is so high that he's going to put the company and everybody around him in very, very precarious positions that 
it's very clear he's not ready, but at the same time, Roman is just also like that person that you can just tell probably received the least love and affection out of any of the children at a right. young age, and that's mm-hmm. affected him the most in these ways because he still acts like so much of a child, and he still acts so prematurely, especially when his back is against the wall. So I love that stuff that we saw out of him, and it really boiled over in that Church and State episode, the the, the penultimate episode where you see him go into the protesters mm-hmm. and now finally being confronted with the real world and just real people who don't give a fuck about him at all. They're like beating on him and pushing him out the way and they're telling him, fuck you. Like now he has to realize, oh, I'm not anything. Like I'm not, I'm nothing. And I, I've been nothing my entire life. And that becomes a, a wow. crystallized idea in that moment for him. And so I really love that. Mm-hmm. Shiv, the one sister of the family, had an equally emotional roller coaster uh, uh, of, the, of the course of this episode. I mean, we we find out so many things about Shiv that, that, that she's just been dealing with that have been bubbling under the surface. We find out she's pregnant. She's also going through a separation with Tom, who Tom is continuing to try to navigate and find his positioning in all of this. He's going to be the kiss-ass that he always wants to be, but they are going through something very traumatic. I mean, this this is heartbreaking. We we can debate all day long whether, whether or not Shiv actually loved Tom or not, probably doesn't but this is still a very traumatic thing that they are separating that they're going to go through this divorce mm-hmm. and then alongside that she's also now fighting for her own position because roman and kendall have made the choice to become co-ceos they basically push shiv out because optically it just won't look good to the rest of the board and to the public and that causes her to make her own deals and her own moves and she starts to develop this relationship behind the scenes with Madsen and basically just securing her position and her future, essentially wanting to become the American CEO for the company if mm-hmm. Madsen is ultimately able to acquire Waystar and, and merge Gojo with Waystar. And so we see Shiv just, again, operating a lot behind the scenes, but also probably dealing with the most emotional baggage out of anybody because she's not only reeling from the fact that Logan is passed, her father is passed, but she's also going through this divorce with Tom and she's pregnant and hasn't really told anybody really until the final episodes. She reveals that information. So I think more so than anybody, Shiv is carrying a lot. What did you think about just like her development, just the, you know, sort of the actions and and, and the movements that she took after the, 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 the death of Logan in episode three? Wow, what a position Shiv is always in. And I think a lot of people don't agree with me on this at all, but Shiv has just been one of my favorite characters for a long time. And I think it's because, for me, she has one of the most interesting positions of being the one woman in the family, the one daughter in the family, the one sister in the family who, uh, uh, like you said, kind of going with the rest of the siblings, she has also kind of always lived in this bubble, but she always had a different a different demeanor to her when it, in, in terms of being professional, you know, Shiv always came to the table and, it, and she, when she talks, she talks really well, not in like a microaggression to black people. Like, Oh, you speak well, you know what I'm saying? It's like a, she has this thing about her, this energy about her that for me always felt like, yeah, you could really do this shit. You know what I'm saying? Or like, yeah, you could, in in again, her dad bought her into the idea as well at some point, too. Like, Shiv kind of got it, you know what I mean, kind of thing. And so it's been interesting to watch her this season because things are also crumbling in her face so crazily as she is pregnant with Tom's child, as they have a falling out. And then they kind of get back for a second with the little honeymoon phase thing, which is, okay, I have to talk about that real quick. There's a scene where Tom and Shiv are, I forgot where they were, but they are in the middle of biting each other's hands 
in the middle of nowhere playing like this power game. And I'm like, does anybody else see this? <laughs> like, does, is anybody else watching this? I just thought that was crazy that they were doing it in the middle of like all these people walking around. But now she has been presented with a something else, right? Which, I, again, I really like this, this story arc for shit. It's not about just her anymore. It's about this child. And what is she supposed to do to to not only, um, you know, get to the top, but what get to the top for her baby now. And that is kind of her resolve for like those last couple of episodes, you know, that, were, that, that, that we see at first. It is like a damn, I have to betray my, uh, betray my family in order to work with Madsen because I do want something good for myself. But then it becomes, damn, I want something good for myself and for this baby. What moves can I really make? How can I really do this thing? And it's crazy to see her switch sides and her not only be manipulative, because although she might be like close to my favorite character, she is also just as bad <laughs> as really anyone else. It's also interesting to see how she has to teeter the line of do I go back with my family? Is that the right decision? Or is it continuing to do this stuff with Madsen? Or is it being with Tom and doing what's best for Tom. It's just so interesting to me how she has to figure out so many angles to play because she has a lot of moves she could make, but it's which one will she make? I think she has probably the most options, low-key, out of anybody in which way to play this. And she ends up, you know, not... She she, she ends up kind of getting, I think, blackballed in that way, though, too. A lot of her options begin to close on her, and it's it's so... It's, it's such a, 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 I think, scary thing to watch um as it as it progresses man but man the stuff between her and time i think were golden it's 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 been a lot of good stuff coming out of out of those two and there's also a for a second um i i I really did think it was like there's potential that she could do this thing as well as much as we thought kendall could do this thing that the writers are also like okay but shiv is here and shiv is also still making these moves and so, yeah, it's 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 crazy how I ended up. But, man, I was I was kind of rooting for her. I ain't going to lie to you. Because of everything that she had kind of going against her. Again, as a woman, as Roman and Kendall were like, mm, the optics don't look good. I'm like, Shiv, you need to win because <laughs> you keep losing over and over. And then, man, it just kind of explodes in her face still at the end of the day. Yeah, I think all these sort of different lanes she tried to pay for herself, they all, they all ended up crumbling uh, mm-hmm. before her very eyes. Probably just due to the fact of how they were conceived to be to begin with. I mean, the relationship with Matson mm-hmm. was built off of this really flirtatious energy anyway. Exactly. I think we started to wonder like, okay, are they doing something here? Like are Shiv and Matson gonna end up fucking? Like that's very possible she's separating from Tom and you can just sense that palpable energy between those two and Matson even, you know, sort of name checked that in the final episode. And then simultaneously, she's just dealing with the fact that her two brothers once again have kind of gotten the upper hand on her and she agreed to it, but we know that she's not at all satisfied by the fact that she cannot be the public front facing person that's leading this company. It's mm-hmm. now left up to the to the to the responsibility of Kendall and Roman. And so she's continuing to try to open these lanes for herself, keep all options on the table, but everything just crumbles because they're they're just all built off of really terrible places that, that, that are dishonest disgenuine and just not just not great because also exactly. the Matson stuff like we find out he's as much of a scumbag as anybody because you know the whole number situation with the su- oh, subscribers man. was mm-hmm. was completely inflated and, and inaccurate and that could have torpedoed the whole thing the election shit when she's going back and forth with Kendall and, and Roman about that and trying to call the election and who they're going to support with Mencken and, and everything there I mean 
the lies just, you know, they built on top of each other. It just became too much. He was telling a lie to, to maintain another lie. Mm-hmm. And, and we just saw that that all crumbled. And that ultimately created this wedge between her and the other two brothers, but especially Kendall, because Kendall was now sort of primed and ready to be that guy. And Shiv was, you know, I think the, 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 the opposing force, but behind the scenes. But after the presidential election episode, that just all crumbled. The stuff with Tom is uh, just quite ridiculous to see because of how painful it is to watch them talk so dirty and nasty mm-hmm. to each other. I mean, yeah. these two, by the end of that episode, the tailgate party, when they have that blow up with each other, mm-hmm. they have said some pretty unforgivable things to each other. Like the, 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 the things that are said in that conversation are like things that neither one of them will ever forget. And the fact that they end up together by the end of this presumably is just kind of crazy, but it, it, it's so emblematic of how accepting they are of just the circumstances and the situation and how they just revert back to the status quo. But as you see them just start to unravel, it's like, oh my God, like this really is the end because they are going to the place in which there is no return. Like the shit you have said to me, I'm not forgetting that. I'm not letting letting that go. And it's all built off of, I think, this idea that she's always wanted to maintain the power dynamics in their relationship. She's always been the domineering force in their relationship. Tom has always been sort of subservient. But now as he's rising, he's starting to like find his place. Although it's a little shaky at times, he's he's rising. That becomes threatening to her and she's not having it. And so it's just better for her to retreat and to keep everything away from her and to keep a distance from Tom. And so uh, she went on a really, really emotionally tumultuous journey. And I think uh, by the end of it, it was just like, damn, she might have ended up in the most tragic of circumstances mm-hmm. at the end of the series finale. But I do want to just quickly talk about the funeral episode, funeral episode, church and state before we get to the series finale in a second here, because we had suspected that they were going to do a funeral episode. And this is really going to put a bow on the death of Logan, all the events that happened in between. And just like finally closing that chapter of this show out before we get to the, the events of the final episode. And once again, I think that they delivered one of the most incredible episodes of TV I had ever seen. I mean, also the presidential election episode before that was was equally amazing just because of the tension and the newsroom. But then you get to church and state and it's like, no, on an acting level, on a script writing level, we are just dealing with something else entirely here mm-hmm. because you get the breakdown of Roman, just the emotional toll that everything is taken on him. You get Kendall delivering his speech. You get Shiv stepping up and delivering those words as well. You also get Logan's brother, who comes, you know, sort of out of nowhere. He comes out of the background. We haven't seen him in such a long time. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. And he keeps it completely authentic to who Logan was, you know, just absolutely saying, like, this is not a great person. He, he, he is not a wonderful human being, but this is the reality of how he changed society and changed culture and changed business yeah. in America. What did you think about just seeing that all boil over? Because I thought it was just like one of the most, again, one of the most incredible episodes of TV that we've gotten in the past, at least decade, I would say. No, I agree. It is a amazing piece of television man and when you listen to the director and how he he wants he just wanted the he wanted the the funeral scene to be as real as possible and they tried to make it as one shot as they could you know what i mean like to make everything go as smooth as possible to give everything that they could to the actors and i i mean i have to say it's successful because the emotion in that episode Oh my God. I know I was all over the place. <laughs> I was going through it in that episode. And and I think it's because in some ways we were living through Roman a little bit, right? Where we, of course, we had seen Logan die, but this is something in us is like, damn, is this dude really gone? You know what I mean? And it exploded 
at the funeral for us i think as viewers the same way that it kind of did for roman a little bit like no this dude is really gone in this tv show and 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 it was man what a what a tremendous episode and i love all the little callbacks in the episode where even you kind of got all of logan's women sitting together all of a sudden which is crazy they were all like lined up in a row (laughs) I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> Logan had all of his women in a row. He had all his uh, his family in another. And it's just it's just crazy to watch this unfold the way I think in which it was unfolded. And like you said, for Ewan to come up there and for him to start speaking and be like, my brother was not a good person. <laughs> he we all know this. Um, and I, I really love that about it. I really love that they were honest because. I think that doesn't happen enough in real life either. Not that you should talk bad about everybody at everybody's funeral, but sometimes you need to be realistic. And as somebody as big that that Logan Roy was to them in this world, I love that somebody was like, this is the real. And this is in and, and I love how Kendall kind of followed up to that too. And I think the funeral would also made it good is we were talking about how it kind of to feel like Kendall but also Shiv had options. The funeral kind of felt like that. As soon as Roman breaks down, in my mind, I'm like, Roman's gone. Roman is no longer in the picture (laughs) of who is going to succeed here. At that moment, I'm like, uh, Kendall stepped up again and had another really good speech off the top of the dome. He looked at, he looked at, uh, Roman's cards and was like, uh, I'm good with it. Skip these cards. (laughs) I'm going to talk about my father, how I want to talk about them, but it felt like a very, I'm the eldest boy moment, but like in the better sense, you know what I mean? He did feel like a big brother in that moment. I was like, damn, Kendall's kind of doing this thing. But Shiv kind of followed up and I was like, that's okay too. I can see that as well. So I love how they're not only giving us uh, 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 the proper burial of Logan Roy and all of his skeletons are literally in the room at the same time, but they're also setting up us as viewers as like, who was going to leak this ship? Who's going to do this thing? With the way it's shot, with the emotion going on in the room, it's just a really, really well crafted episode. Um, and I love, I, I again, I just, I just love TV like this where you can just sit in a room <laughs> and everyone, and you can see how each person is reacting to the situation. And and yeah, man, I love it. I love how when Uncle when, when uh, Ewan was going into the to to talk, and everyone was like, "Greg, get him off!" And they're like. But you're with Greg, though. You're like, what are you supposed to do? You're not going to tackle him. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You're not going to say no. You can't speak at his own brother's funeral. And so, yeah, I love the little stuff like that. And uh, it's just a good episode of TV, man. I'm with you. It really is great. Yeah, you just coming into it had to know that this was going to be something, again, completely different. It At that point was the longest running episode of the series until the series finale. It was like 80 Mm -hmm. minutes long. So you just knew that they were going to really rest in this moment and spend the time that they needed to. And it becomes just a profoundly moving piece of television because of how human it felt, which is wild to say, considering the characters that we're dealing with. We're like, mm-hmm. we're talking about insanely wealthy people, billionaires that are, that are going to have money in their family for generations and generations to come. And even in the midst of all of that, and we've seen them do some incredibly horrific things to each other and to other people, you still just can't help but feel for them in that moment. Mm-hmm. And to know that they have had some pretty, uh, pretty fucked up young young childhoods and, and and a lot of that is a result of their father and the way that he's moved and navigated the world 
And this is all boiling over for, the, for them in this moment, the realization that he is gone, because now this is the, fin- the finite, you know, sort of element to, to somebody passing away is the funeral. It's, it's, it's the punctuation mark on it all. Like, this is the end of it. And to see Roman go through what he went through, to try to deliver the eulogy and just have this moment where he completely breaks down. It was shattering to see, honestly. Like, Roman has been terrible, but it's also like, wow, this guy's been holding this in. Like you say, the pre-grieving of it all, which was bullshit. It was a lie. And just can't do it. And it's really shattering to see that. And then to see everything else happen after that. Where these these kids are trying to still uphold some good sense of memories with their father. Kendall and then Shiv. They're trying to speak to the, the positive about him. You know that it's truthful. You know that it's authentic. But they're right. also still internally wrestling with the fact that this guy has marked us in so many significant ways. Many of them not good. But we still have to get up here and... Mm-hmm emotionally close this book on this chapter of our lives it just becomes one of those things where it's like i don't even know how to necessarily process this myself as a viewer because so many things are happening and then you go to the mausoleum and see them you know sort of bury him and again roman just can't deal with it he has to get up and walk away Mm -hmm. he just can't even watch them bury his father and it's like this huge like almost like palace that he's that he's carved out for himself he spent like five million dollars on a burial site and then you get connor showing up like yeah you know maybe i'll take a top bunk in here you know, you get those emotionally um, funny moments as well, but it's it's all set to the backdrop of stuff that's just incredibly tragic and, and incredibly mm-hmm. sad to see. And I think that this really kind of spelled out the doom that lied ahead for all of the all of the siblings, in particular, with the next episode and the series finale, which is you know something that we had all been waiting for to just see how this was all going to go down. Uh, the series finale w- was pretty much centered around the the, the final vote that was going to take place, whether or not Gojo was going to acquire Waystar, what was going to be the future of this empire that's been within this family for so many generations and how was it all going to fold out? And so we see Matson, of course, you know, sort of back into the fold and ultimately the board is going to go to their decision and vote on what's going to be the future. And we get a really, really cool moment, I think, between the three siblings that we hadn't seen since the last season, you know, where Kendall had his breakdown at the end of season three and the siblings sort of comfort him and, and they, you know, they sort of crowd around him and make him feel like he's loved. And he admits to them that he killed somebody, you know, earlier in the series. We sort of get that reflected here when they're, you know, sort of with their mother because Roman is sort of retreated after the events of episode nine back to his mother, Carolyn. And they just have that really emotionally profound moment, I think, between each other where they can just act normal. You know, they're putting together the smoothie for Kendall. They basically deemed him like, yeah, you're going to be the leader. We will we'll stand behind you, bro, and support you in all of this. And it, it feels like things are good. It feels like that they have like reverted back to their childhood ways and they're sort of in a good place after all the crazy shit that happened. But I think as a viewer, knowing what the show is, knowing how they designed it to be, you had to know that. Well, this happiness isn't going to last long. This kind of feels like the one final happy moment that we'll ever get with these characters before it ultimately all blows up. What did you think about sort of those first moments of the episode that just sort of, you know, put them back in a in a in a in a I guess a, a state of cohesion, you know, which we just don't often see amongst those three siblings. Man, it was it's so interesting because that again, that is another moment you're like this is pretty happy right now <laughs> where especially where everyone feels like they're agreeing on something you know versus before it's like we we are we are crowding kindle because of sadness and tragedy this was great to see because if it did feel like a celebration and you know we do talk about how i think removed these people are from regular humans in society but when you see them do something like this you're like man there is some human in y'all even though this is like 
something that does feel more childish for them, right? They are making a smoothie <laughs> for was the King's Juice. I forgot what it's called, but it's 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 funny because it it does feel the most like dang y'all. It, I feel like if they, if y'all went outside and touched some grass and talked to some people, y'all would be okay. But y'all just don't do that. <laughs> and and this is the moment they do it with each other though, and it feels it feels good in that moment because we we've seen them do nothing but bicker and like you and like you said when it when they do come together it is because something tragic it is they came together because of the funeral they came together because kendall was sad about something they came together for other things you know what i mean and this is the moment it's like okay guys we're actually banding together for something good this time let's have a plan and make sure everybody is happy in this moment and i do i do like also like the moment where kendall here Kendall does feel I don't know he feel he feels the most hopeful in this moment than we've seen him kind of throughout the show because usually Kendall feels like he 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 feels like he is entitled to the position but he, you could always tell there's like a, a hopelessness to him like he's never going to get it he is hungry for it um and here his his, his siblings are actually able to kind of I think uplift him in that way to make them feel like okay yes you deserve this thing or you're going to get this thing but i like how they come to a conclusion and they're able to to i guess have this moment of unity um and especially when they get there it wasn't unity at all either though right it's like shiv is on the other side when they get there but she's this felt like a moment where shiv was just going to go check on her little brother and i love that versus kendall didn't feel like that kendall was like bro you got to come vote <laughs> You need to come vote. And and I love how it does start hostile, but it does end up kind of getting diffused again by all the heartfeltness of it. It was fine, man. I love the small talk when they're in the water between uh, uh, Shiv and, and Shiv and Roman. And they're joking. They were like, are we really going to give this guy this thing? <laughs> are we really going to do this? And they, they decide to go ahead and do it. But that felt like a real sibling moment. I can imagine... I don't know, them being younger and having these exact talks about Kendall, you know, in some form or fashion about something. I don't know what it is, but I could I could tell it had happened before um, where they where they have to talk. They have to talk amongst themselves before they give Kendall something or or this and that. Um, so, yeah, I, th I thought it was cool, but I could tell was I could also tell it was the calm before the storm because the show doesn't work like that. They just don't get to be be merry. And then that's the end of the TV show. I could definitely feel there was something else coming and there was there was something not right about that moment it was too happy it was too everyone's getting along it was too everyone wins for it to actually go down so that that's another reason i think i enjoyed those moments yeah this is the part of the episode i was actively checking the runtime because i'm like oh my god i'm starting to stress myself out how much time is left because right now things are too happy and eventually we're going to go nuclear and it's going to be mm -hmm. armageddon before our very eyes and so i was just like very very anxious about about what was going to unfold over the next you know sort of hour after this all took place but it was nice to see them in this moment especially considering what happened you know two episodes prior with the with the election in Mankin and how that just blew up in front of Shiv's face like Roman and Kendall realized Shiv's been fucking them no pun intended mm -hmm. of course but that whole situation and that whole moment sort of set the stage for this battle that was going to take place between the three siblings. But the funeral brought them back together because it is such a, a sad moment. It's such a, a such a traumatic experience to go through. Mm -hmm. And they don't have anybody else but each other, you know, so they have to just by necessity stick together. And that, that bleeds over into this episode because of, you know, Roman sort of retreating and Kendall needing him. But Shiv just, you know, trying to figure out what was going on there. But, you know, it's all just setting the stage for, for, for really a doomsday that, that lied ahead. And that's exactly 
exactly what happened. You know, we finally do get to this the situation where they are, you know, going to go to vote about this this acquisition. Obviously, Kendall, Roman, and presumably what we thought Shiv were going to vote against the deal and try to block the deal for Gojo. And 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 we know a lot of the legacy sort of characters that had more of their close knitted relationships with Logan. They were they were on board with it. You know, they were ready to go ahead and cash out, make this deal happen. You know, the Franks of the world, all of those people, Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, those figures. They were they were going to move forward with this, and then it all just unravels completely you know shiv becomes the avatar for the uncertainty in the room she becomes the one where it's like you know actually let me take a beat on this i don't know what i want to do it's almost like all of her emotions and everything about the events of this season just sort of just sort of overwhelmed her in the moment it's like she almost saw the past six or seven episodes flash before her eyes Mm -hmm. really probably their entire lifetime because she she had a realization because of two couple of you know two two very important things. One, she found out about Tom becoming the CEO, so that is obviously influencing her decision. But she also is remembering Kendall and who he is as a person mm-hmm. and who he who, who who she's known him to be, and also probably you know the fact that they 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 were on two opposite sides of the fence just two episodes ago yeah. because of everything that had happened. And she becomes pretty much responsible for this whole thing unraveling and and it's swaying in the decision of gojo actually acquiring race waystar and it just leads to i think what is the equivalent of a cataclysmic sort of breakdown for these siblings we just see the worst of the worst happen between these three like yeah they've always said very very incendiary things to each other they've always been fucked up in terms of their remarks but we see it become physical we see kendall just explode as you said earlier, he screams, I am the oldest boy. He doesn't even know how to deal with this. <laughs> and then he puts hands on Roman and Shiv is on the verge of a breakdown as well. And they also just bring back full circle the fact that Kendall has a whole fucking body on him. Like, did you kill somebody, bro? And now he's trying to backpedal and say, like, no, I didn't. I just uh, said no. that to try to bring us together. <laughs> so much shit is happening within the span of like six or seven minutes. It's, it's crazy sad. to me how they're able to just like bring all of this emotional turmoil to the forefront of this this decision but we just see everything blow up right before our very eyes and and there's there's a point of no return in 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 the events of this 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 few minutes here that ultimately results in in the Gojo acquisition so just kind of share your thoughts on on how you were feeling watching this this whole thing play out the fact that Shiv made the decision that she made and also just sort of the effect that it had on Kendall in that very moment where he just became Sort of a lesser version of himself, but right, right, right before our very eyes. Man, there's so much here. It really is, um, and to see it all blow up again so quick, it's crazy. But this is, man, we can't talk about that moment enough, man. Where Logan is telling his kids, "I love y'all, but y'all are unserious people." It is literally the resounding clip, soundbite, whatever you want to quote of the season. It really is, and. You can you constantly feel it. And what's so interesting too though is to me they they've denied it for a very long time. Um and you could tell when even when the one hundred was happening or they're talking about the one hundred, you could always feel or they're always like, Man, this th- is this it? <laughs> is this what we're supposed to be doing? And I think again, Shiv does just have enough sense to be like, we're kind of bullshit. This is this is all bullshit, and I love how I love how Roman also kind of agreed in that moment, even though he voted against right the acquisition. 
it's also it's still interesting though that Roman also was like, we're bullshit. <laughs> and we have been bullshit for a while. He always felt that as well, but he was still willing, I guess, to to go with uh to to go with Logan to the fences, you know, to go with him to the end because of the oh not not Logan Kendall to the fences for the family thing. You know what I mean? I think to keep it in the family was was important to Kendall at least a little bit, or to Roman at least a little bit. But I love how it blows up, man. I love, I really do, because Shiv. I think she said. I think she's in that position for a couple reasons. One, like you said, she was just against her brothers a couple days ago, <laughs> completely right. She was trying to get get that top spot, and but not only that, was she only trying to dig away for herself? Again, this is way earlier in the season. She makes that decision, but I also feel like she thought in those early moments that they were bullshit. Right? It's not just like, hey, I want the top spot. It's also like my brothers are kind of bullshit as well. Like I don't know how that's going to go down over here. And then we, we get to that moment. She's like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to vote for you to to lead this company. And again, she does. She just becomes the voice of reason in that moment because Kendall kind of did kill a guy, a, a, a guy who has a body probably shouldn't be leading a company in this way. But it's not only that. I think when she finds out Tom, if voted, if this thing goes through, that he's going to get the spot. It's for a couple reasons. One, her baby daddy leading the company is genius. Why would you say no to that? It is your the father of your child could potentially inherit a company at some point in time. You know what I'm saying? Like that's another spinoff in ten years. It's Succession Part Two with Tom and Shiv's baby. You know what I'm saying? But also, I feel like she felt guilty for everything she put Tom through. I feel like. I feel like in that moment, she also, there's a part of her that felt like, man, maybe Tom does deserve this thing. Maybe I have put Tom through so much bullshit. Maybe I put Tom through so much turmoil with the cheating and the uh, telling him you're having his baby the night of an election as he runs one of the biggest news corporations. Like, Shiv has been tearing up Tom for a very long time. And part of me feels like she also says yes because this is her moment to give him something. This is her moment to say, you may not see this in real time, Tom. You may not see that I voted for you. I don't know if she tells him at some point. I don't know how what goes down. We really don't see that. But that I, I low-key gave you this thing because I took so much away from you. That's what it also felt like, too, in that moment a little bit. And I, I really like that about it. So it's it just it, all of these things coming together to explode in their face and they are not having it i love how upset kendall is i love how unsure roman is but also kind of on board with what everything (laughs) that shiv is saying it's just it all makes sense that's what i love about it it is chaos but it's like controlled chaos everything is like yeah i get that i get everything you're saying shiv because i think we all understood and felt it too the whole season was like these guys kind of suck at what they're doing they're not good and it finally came back in this episode from Shiv in particular to say, yeah, we're all bullshit and we're all unserious people. And I really love that about it. I think it was great. Uh, I think that's gracious of you to say that about Shiv and, 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 and Tom. I honestly, I don't believe at all that she was trying to give anything to Tom. I think it's purely based on the fact that she found out that this guy that she was married to, that she always thought she had the power over, Figured out a way to maneuver the system and to go behind her to put himself in the in the most supreme position of power. Mm-hmm. Therefore, that results in her basically saying, like, well, I have no cards to play with anymore. This is probably the last one that I have to play with. 
what is the best possible situation for me personally? It's mm. the proximity to power because mm -hmm, I can't have mm -hmm. the power itself, but it's the proximity that I'll be able to get to it because we're still technically married. I'm having this man's baby. There could still be a situation here in, in which I inherit all the fortunes that are going to come with this. And she also knows that she will probably always be able to manipulate and control Tom at the end of the day because that's just mm. that's the dynamic of their relationship because once Tom becomes CEO... She can still run shit behind the scenes. She won't have the title. That won't be right. the case for her because Matson, he won't allow it. Matson realized, like, you know what? I kind of want to fuck your wife, and that's just not a good look. He at least has the self awareness to say, like, I can't have that woman being the leader of my company because I want to do something with her. I want to do, mm -hmm. I want to do bad things with her. Which is also wild as fuck that he told that to Tom. And Tom, Crazy. being the fucking just worm that he is, he just takes it. He doesn't say anything. He accepts it. Because he wants the power more than anything. He's willing mm -hmm. to degrade himself and lose basically all sense of his dignity and allow this man to just talk any way in which about his wife Crazy. because he wants to be that CEO so bad. So Tom and Shiv, to me, are just, they're deplorable. They really are deplorable. I did feel for Shiv for a long time, and I still do to a certain extent, yeah. but their actions and the way that they moved throughout this entire season, the way that they spoke to each other again, as I mentioned Ooh. earlier, just reflect a super toxic, super unhealthy, and a terrible situation for the both of them. However, they are both so consumed with the idea of being in control and in charge that they just put all that shit aside and they said, you know what, we're going to do this. And it doesn't matter what bodies we accumulate along the way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many fucking bones we have in our closet about this shit. We're putting that all, all aside because the power and the proximity of the power, it, it's the most important thing. And I think on the opposite side of that, Kendall and Roman, Kendall, that breakdown makes a lot of sense just because this guy and his entire existence was based mm -hmm. off of the idea that he was going to be up next. That's that's all his life has been. And he's been consumed with that idea, as you noted earlier, since he was seven years old. And that's so important that he told us that piece of information because what happens to a guy who has been working towards a goal and an idea for pretty much his entire life and it crumbles right before his very eyes he explodes, he fumbles, he completely loses the entire sense of his self. And I think that that last shot of Kendall at the end of this is just very emblematic of who he is. He doesn't know who he is anymore. He doesn't have a life. He, mm -hmm. he, he He's just less of a person now. And I know um, Jeremy Strong talked about that they filmed a, a sequence in which he tries to jump into the fucking East River. Like he tries to basically kill <laughs> kill himself because of how fucked up he is in the head at this moment. And they decided to not not include that. But I think if they did include it, it still would be on brand for him because he yeah. doesn't know who he is anymore. And Roman just having that realization, you know, that that was all built up in the previous episode. Again, when he goes out to the protesters and he just realizes that he's he's nothing to them. Like, it doesn't mm. matter how many billions you have, my guy. Nobody gives a fuck about you in reality. Like, you're just yeah. you're just a rich, wealthy white person, but your existence is just based off of that. You don't know who you are. And so, I just want to quickly wrap up here and sort of ask you about those final few moments. We see Shiv reunite with Tom and mm -hmm. they have that super awkward moment of, I guess, Weird. holding hands with each other in the limousine Weird. as Tom mm -hmm. has become the king of this whole new operation and he's on top of the world. Kendall, as I mentioned, is just floating in the world by himself, doesn't really have any any purpose anymore. Who knows what the fate of him will, will be in the future? And then, of course, Roman sort of ends up back in that in that, in that that bar in, in very much the same way in, in, in which we found him, just this guy who, I guess, has accepted his place in his life and, mm -hmm. and accepted the fact that 
he's just that guy that wants to get fucked up and have drinks and make jokes. Like he doesn't want to be serious about any of this. And so I think that that moment of him just being in the bargain and getting that drink just kind of resembles like who he is at his core and who he is in his heart. What did you think about just, you know, how everything wrapped up and how they, you know, sort of closed out the story uh, of succession? Yeah. Shout out to the disgusting brothers. They low key won. <laughs> the disgusting brothers they won. Did. What did he say to, uh, to Greg? I just, I have just enough capital and he like put a sticker on his head. I think that was hilarious i said greg i want better for you bro <laughs> but he, he he's kind of being groomed by tom though right where it's like he's kind of ended up just like tom he's got to be a worm sometimes and so just as much time as a worm for for madsen greg has to be a worm for tom it's so interesting in that way but they do end up winning in the end man kendall it's sad it's a sad story uh and uh, again a lot of this is just they grew up in in power man they grew up in wealth it's hard it's hard when when no one has told you you mean anything else outside of this outside of this family dynamic when no one has told you that you matter in that way nor have you ever been in a position to matter in that way wow to me that's the story of succession right is what is it's like now what now what do you do when you don't have it that's to me, that's like that's part of the 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 lesson of the show. There's succession, but what happens when you don't get it? Imagine you've been waiting to get this three million dollars your entire life from your auntie, and she finally passes, and then it's like, Whoop, we lost it. There's no three million for you anymore. Now what do you do? Like what do you, what do you do with your hands? Do you, are now you're broke. <laughs> Not only broke, but you're broke in. You know what I'm saying? And so I love how we kind of end in that way, too. These are kids and people who just don't know what else to do. And it's uh, the part of the reason the ending of Tom getting this makes so much sense to me. He was one of the only people that actually worked. Tom, no matter what you think about him, he's a scumbag. Like you said, he's a worm. He did have to do all these things. He had a job. <laughs> Tom had a job and he was doing a, a, okay at it. Unfortunately, he he did end up calling an election, probably for somebody he shouldn't have been calling an election for at all. A neo Nazi, a neo Nazi at that. It's fucking terrible. But when it comes to business and actually who you're gonna pick, you should probably pick the guy who actually had the job. You know, who actually could could provide some sort of value, and they actually gave it to Tom. I thought that made so much sense to me in the end given the way these kids had acted and so like you said man kendall had nothing else to live for he lived his whole life thinking he's gonna get this thing he didn't get it that's where he lived that's it now what does he do i have no idea what kendall does he is good at talking and business and stuff maybe he does try to go make the 100 or do something but we we don't know but what we do know is he lost everything that he thought his life was about that's some sad that's a sad way to end that's a sad way to end and i like it though because it makes sense you don't you don't get to kill somebody <laughs> and then go get the throne. And even though that would have been realistic, because I'm sure, I mean, the whole boat thing, too, and the all of this is very realistic. I'm sure so, there's a CEO out there who has killed somebody. It would have been realistic, but I love how they decide not to go that direction. I do. It just made sense to me. Roman. Not much to say there. You said it all. It makes sense to me. He finds out he's also really nothing without this. He does just want to be the party guy. He does end up in a bar just drinking again. He does just want to make quippy 
lines and be out of pocket all the time but that's also all he the world he has given the world and that's all the world will give him you only put in you only get out what you put in you haven't put much in so that's what you're getting out that's the story of secession to me shiv again i think she did have the business sense but she also was in the world with them she was in the same world she was in the same group of siblings and she could What's what is slightly again, I still don't don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't feel bad for Shiv at all either. <laughs> what is slightly more shad about Shiv is she never even had the opportunity to to really give anything. Though a lot of times you could tell she wanted to. That's what's kind of sad about Shiv. Shiv wanted to go make a change. Shiv didn't want making the win. Shiv was the one going against, you know what I mean, the selection. She wanted uh what was the other guy's name? Making in it's funny, I can only remember the bad guy, not the goddamn good guy. <laughs> um, she, But she did go against Mankin. She did want better for race relations and women and all of these things. But it's sad for her because she never got the opportunity, though that's what she wanted. That's what's a little bit more sad for Shiv. But you only put it, you only put in, uh, get out what you put in. She couldn't put in anything. Sorry, Shiv. You also were an asshole. You also were did all these things and hurt these people and talked the time in certain ways and were manipulative. So she was also dealt uh, the hand she was dealt. She kind of dealt her own hand as well. And so I love the way it ends because it does feel realistic to me. I think in those ways from a business perspective of like you would pick the guy <laughs> who actually had a job. I, and it's so interesting because I wonder if how long Matson had been thinking about that. How long Matson had been like, why wouldn't I just give it to him if he's the person who's there actually doing the thing? You know, I don't know. It's, I think it's very interesting that it ended like that. But I, I like how it made sense. And I think the writers did what was in best interest for the characters. Um, it, not only the characters, but also the message they were trying to convey throughout the show. So I actually I really love the ending. I love how it doesn't end happy. I love the weird hand holding awkwardness between Shiv and Tom. I thought it was like, yeah. That's accurate to me from what that from what we've gotten. Um, yeah, and I appreciate it, man. I thought I, I thought it was well done. None of the kids got it, which I think stayed completely true to just the whole purpose and themes of the show. And I think that ending it any other way would have could have been still re really good. But I think that this is the most true to form ending that that none of them won. In, in essence, I mean, you can, I guess, relatively speaking, say Shiv may have won, but just due to the proximity that she'll have to the power, but she has to be in a marriage that she absolutely does not want to be in. Like, it's very mm -hmm. clear that she does not want to be with Tom. Like, it couldn't be more clear to me, but she's going to continue to live her life, sacrificing, I guess, to an extent, to, to, to live and have this lifestyle. Kendall's just devastated as fuck. He, he doesn't know how to maneuver. Eventually, he'll land on his feet, I think. Eventually, he'll start just another company and try to build something from the ground up. He has that sort of that sort of spirit to, to, to be a little bit more a little bit more scrappy and to go and make something of his own. But it'll never fulfill what he always thought that he deserved in his life. It'll never fulfill that, that, that desire to succeed his father and to, and to basically lead the company that was built within the family and Roman. Roman's just going to continue to be Roman. Roman is, he's going to land on his feet as well. He'll find something that he can invest into, something that he's more interested in, but he won't have necessarily a, uh, a satisfying life because he doesn't allow real relationships. You know, he, he doesn't allow those to form. He's always negating other people's feelings. He's very much lashing out at people and doesn't decide to, to be vulnerable with anybody. So he'll, he won't have anything meaningful necessarily in his life in terms of relationship, but will he care? I don't know. I think he's just going to have to wrestle and deal with the realization that, he has a certain function and purpose in this world, and that's what it's going to ultimately be for him for the rest of his life. And so it's all tragic. It's it's tragic to witness. It's tragic to see. But yeah. these characters, at the end of this all, will still get billions and billions and billions of dollars exactly. based on the deal alone. Like, 
How bad can you feel for any of them? And again, I think that that's kind of the purpose of what they were setting out to do here. Uh, quick closing thoughts about Succession as a show. Now that it's all wrapped up, they have concluded the story. Where does this just, you know, sort of fall for you in terms of shows that you've seen? And how do you sort of reflect on just the legacy of, of what they set out to do here with Succession over four seasons? Wow. Uh, this is a show that I think episode one, I would have never assumed that I would like it as much as I do. This is not a, I know a lot of people who still do not like success. I actually had a conversation with somebody yesterday um, who he was talking about just how he do, he just doesn't like the show because he just thinks it's about a bunch of rich people. And I think that's fair on one hand and the other hand, I think that's the point. <laughs> and I think, you know, maneuvering how those people, uh, uh, I think function in their own bubble within the world is so interesting. That's what makes it interesting to me. And I think succession has, I think, scratched the itch I didn't know I had when it comes to seeing these rich people implode within themselves or be mean to each other and kind of, yeah, just see how, 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 what that looks like because we always, we, we know it exists in real life, right? We all, we know these ideas of these big billionaires and CEOs and companies and things like that. We know it exists. Shoot. I work for a big company myself. We go through not succession kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? But we go through org changes and all kind of things like that. And so to be able to look into, I think people of power and, and privilege who have that and just to see a little bit into their world is interesting because of, of, of how much they could, you know, uh, really be like this i think a lot of people really are like succession and to see that reflection of that in the real real in the real world is really cool and i appreciate succession for that and man i really do love this show um i think it it fits in a a, a league of just great hbo content first and foremost i had to put that out there hbo has been putting out bangers for a very long time um but i think i think it does fit in in one of the greatest and in and i think it has its own lane it doesn't feel like any of the other great of course, shows in general, but HBO shows I've ever watched before. You know, again, I, I could have never guessed that I would like this show as much as I do coming out of a Sopranos and The Wire and Game of Thrones and all of these other good shows, you know, that we watch on HBO. I just couldn't imagine that I would be like, damn, I really like this piece of art, man. And it, it's 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 just really good writing and really good acting and what that could look like almost not no matter the story, because we know the story is amazing, but it, it's it's they really did this thing. And I love how they set out for a vision and said, it's time to end it. I love that because we don't get that a lot. We don't get a let's end this thing. I love when people know and feel when to end it. And they ended succession on a high note for me. I absolutely adore and love this show. I Again, I think it's among the greats. It doesn't look like anything else. I think the acting was I think the Emmys are about to fly. Sure, they flew it before. But something about a show ending where the Emmys just fly after that, you know, people are waiting for a show to end and it's time to give them their flowers. Man, I don't know who's going to get what or nominated for what, but Secession is about to clean up at these Emmys as well. And I will always recognize it as uh, uh, definitely one of my favorite shows of, of, of course, like this, 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 this time period, whatever this time period that you will call. I have to. I think reimagine it in the grand scheme of TV shows because we've got a lot of greatness in, in terms of TV shows. But man, definitely within the past decade, it's top three <laughs> in the past decade, I think, of TV shows for me and how much I was looking forward to watching this TV show. Yeah, I think Succession is one of the greatest ever to do it. This is uh, just an extraordinary 
piece of stories and, and sagas of these intertwining characters examining corporate business, big business in America, families, legacy, lineage, historical wealth, all of those really, really big ideas that have been very much ingrained in American culture and shape everyday commerce. Like this show is tackling that stuff directly, but it's also looking even d deeper at the at the inner turmoil and the, and the hearts and the emotions that these people sort of contemplate on a day-to-day -day basis and how that impacts society and how these mm -hmm. individual decisions that they make that they don't even second guess have larger, much much larger implica impl implications. Excuse me for for how we li live and uh, on a day to day basis in society. And so I think that the fact that they could examine that stuff and and really take a microscope and and look deeply into sort of the soul of America and just how how business operates and moves, it, it's a really brave thing to do. And it takes a certain mind and a certain set of capabilities to really go for it in that sense. And it's created some of the most memorable lines of dialogue, some of the greatest pieces of writing that I think I've ever seen in, in a television show, and really some of the most memorable characters that we've gotten and just the whole story that they set out to do was just absolutely incredible. I, I can't wait to just continue to rewatch the show over the, over the next few years and just mm -hmm. grow even more in my relationship with it. So, folks, those are our thoughts on the series finale and season four as a whole of Succession. If you've checked out season four of the HBO series, definitely hit us up. And let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to move on and just kind of cover quickly some things that we've been doing over the past few weeks since we have taken a few weeks off from the podcast and just sort of go back and forth and catch up with some things that we have missed. Uh, should start off with Star Wars Vision Season 2, which uh, premiered about a month ago on Disney+. Plus. It launched on Star Wars Day. We talked about Season 1 of Visions when it came out about a year and a half ago. It was this new initiative basically taking these six different not not six, I think it was actually seven, seven different studios from across the world, allowing them to sort of play within the sandbox of Star Wars and create these original stories based on their individual animation styles. And so we got blending and, and genre bending of a lot of different styles that, uh, in, in animated form for Star Wars. And so Visions Season 1 was incredibly successful for them, I know, and so they decided to do Season 2 and also expand the palette, open up to even more studios and go to even different countries all across the world mm -hmm. to allow them to tell stories within the Star Wars universe. So uh, what did you think about, you know, sort of Vision Season 2? Were there any standouts? And do you think it was better than what we got out of Season 1 about a year and a half ago? I am a sucker for these visions, man. It's it's something about different animation studios being able to tell their own Star Wars stories that I just really enjoy, especially this season, because uh, uh, I think one of the, the things about the first season that, that makes it bad, but I feel like everyone wanted to take on what the Jedi look like, if that makes sense. It was every episode felt like here's a robot Jedi, here's a Jedi in this situation, here's a Jedi in that situation. And I feel like they take the opportunity this season, more studios took an opportunity to say there's other Star Wars out there that it, that isn't just about the Force, or it, it is all, almost always about the Force, but always about Jedi and how they and what they can provide to the world instead there are other smaller and more heartfelt stories within the season of visions that's like yeah this is star wars too right especially even in the live action since we're getting stories like andor we're getting stories like the mandalorian stuff that doesn't have to deal with jedi that still can be considered good star wars if given uh uh the right platform and so man there's some animation in here i think is really fire uh, that I that I really enjoy with, with visions, man, and I think I think I've it, it's kind of weird to say because there is more. There's nine episodes right this season instead of the the seven this season, so they kind of had a, a a better chance. <laughs> 
at this, but I think I think they did better. I think season two might be better than season one at the end of it. Though season one has really, I think, iconic episodes. I think overall this this season will uh, uh, end up uh, proving to be better for me. Um, I think it, it, there was more like, dang, I like that episode from episode to episode versus the first one where I feel like season one, it was like, oh, I really like that episode. And I don't know about that episode. Oh, I really like that episode. And, I don't know. And, and season two just felt a little bit more consistent for me. Um, and I think there are, let me think, out of the nine, there's like, six i think that i really like that i was like damn this is this is some good um stuff in here even as far as visuals that first episode man sith is just really good it just it looks so good and the story is good too um and that was one of the standouts for me um and another standout is though it wasn't my favorite oh i really liked it is uh i am your mother right uh, which comes from what's his name? What's the animator? Uh, the claymation animator. Um, I'm your mother. Comes from uh, Chicken Run. What's his name? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I'm about to find. Sure. No, I'm about to. I'm about to find it real quick. I'm about to find it real quick. He's really good. He does like Chicken Run and the Wallace and Gromit movies and all of those. Um, but to 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 see uh, Ardman, yes, that's his name. Um, to, to see Ardman get his hands on some some Star Wars stuff, I thought was crazy. It felt, and it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't about the Jedi stuff. It was literally a story about a girl <laughs> and her mother and how they navigate the, uh, or a young pilot, she's a young pilot, I guess, and how they navigate, I guess, their relationship throughout this universe um, and how she goes to the race academy and stuff like that. It's like, I didn't expect this story to happen, but it's the story I got and I'm happy I got it kind of type thing. And so, um, I, I, yeah, I think Vision Season 2 was better than the first season. Um, yeah, and I enjoyed it, man. Yeah, I like 2 a lot as well. I, I, I agree about it being better than the first season. I think across the board, the consistency and the quality of the stories and the animation um, just sort of realized the potential of what we got with the first season. The first season was was good, but I just liked the fact that they just broadened the palette here. It wasn't just focused on anime. They went to different you know sort of areas of animation, like you mentioned, claymation. Anime is a part of this as well, but they just they just wanted to open up the palette and do a little bit more here. And so I also like the fact that like there was even a Sith story, a Sith focused story here as well. Like there was like really really interesting other corners of the star wars universe that you can start to tackle and explore like that stuff is uh the the, the potential there is just like fully the, the the sky's the ceiling on that stuff so to fully like sort of realize that in animated form is just like always really really cool to see so i think it's definitely worth checking out if you like one you'll definitely like two i i believe and and also if you just want like a different style and taste of star wars stories like this 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 should satisfy that niche because we're in an era now where we, we don't have the opportunity to miss Star Wars. Like, that's just not a thing anymore, mm-hmm. um, which I do believe is a part of the problem uh, because Star Wars used to be something we could feel nostalgic for because it would go away. That's not a reality. And so the fact that we can just, like, do something entirely different than live action or even, like, the more traditional animation with, like, Clone Wars and Rebels, it's refreshing to be able to get that opportunity. So I really, really like season two. Um, we'll keep moving here. I want to quickly talk about Love and Death, which is a limited series that just recently premiered on HBO. Starring Elizabeth Olsen, which, to be honest, is the only reason I watched it, because I really, really like Lizzie Olsen. I think she's a really, really extraordinary talent. But this uh, miniseries is basically examining the true story of Candy Montgomery, who is a housewife Mm -hmm. in Texas and ultimately 
enters into this um, infidelity with uh, a, a friend of the neighborhood. Basically, she's married, but also the person that she decides to, to have a relationship with is also married as well. Um, Jesse Plemons plays Alan Gore, and so they these two have a relationship with each other, but they're both married to other partners. And we basically get to see how this turns into Candy Montgomery committing a atrocious, horrific act of murder towards Betty Gore, who was the 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 wife, excuse me, of Alan Gore. Um, Betty eventually finds out about Alan and Candy and Betty have the standoff and it results in Candy Montgomery murdering Betty Gore. And again, this happened in real life. This is true events. And they've also adapted the story before. I think that there was a, uh, a movie that came out on Hulu about a year ago, if I'm not mistaken, um, bringing the story to life. This was a really, really infamous case that happened in Texas. And so we just basically watch how these events unfold. We see the relationship between candy and alan start to unfurl and then we also see how the murder and the subsequent trial um sort of play out these events and overall this series was was pretty good i think it was it was a pretty good story what i what i appreciated about it was that it took its time mm -hmm. for us to get to know the characters the real people i should say involved in this whole story and, and just how everything led to the events of the murder because this easily could have been salacious material where we just kind of start off with the murder and we just like see why that's such a wild and crazy thing that candy montgomery took this axe and 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 and, and you know s slain a person um but they they don't do that they actually really examine the 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 the, the homes and and the lifestyles that everybody was living and, and ultimately how that played a very integral part into how everything came to be and also just the fact that like everybody involved here was incredibly conservative which is also a very important fact as to why this became such a big deal because this is in a community in Wiley, Texas, which is very small, very close-knit. A lot of the people know each other. There's a church-going community. And so when this event happens, it just rocks the town, the foundations of everything that everybody thought that they knew about the people involved, and it becomes the talk of the town. And it becomes this really, really traumatic event for everybody involved and also just the community at large. And so ultimately, it was a pretty good series. I think the reason to watch this is for Elizabeth Olsen. She's incredible mm -hmm. as as usual as you as you would expect her to be everybody else is pretty fine like jesse plemons i always enjoy seeing him he's pretty good lily rabe is betty gore she's really good and has to do a lot of emotional heavy lifting as well but i think elizabeth olsen is, is the clear standout here it's not extraordinary it's not the best tv series i've seen this year but it is a, it is a pretty decent watch and it is a mini series so it's one of those things where it has an ending and it has an opening and a middle and it you know sort of wraps up the story and and you see how everything plays out that way but i thought it was overall pretty pretty solid series for, for hbo max isn't this uh also a tv show on hulu named candy mm -hmm. that's, that's what i mentioned yeah that's what i mentioned right? that they, they that dropped this said? like a year ago mm -hmm. that's so weird um yeah it's just weird <laughs> that's yeah, all i, I really have to say <laughs> i think a lot of these streaming that that's where we are now like everybody is just putting out their own take like it, uh, there's so many examples of documentaries that have been released on like both hulu and netflix like right. everybody mm -hmm. just like enters in with their own take and, and and tells it i guess from a different perspective i haven't seen that hulu show mm -hmm. so i don't know how they you know sort of tackled this whole thing but i did see that and, and i said to myself like oh they just they just did this um so i don't know i don't know back what the different angle is, is here crazy. you know yeah mm -hmm. back to back is, is is it's a weird thing but these corporations, I mean, they're they're pulling at anything that's notable. That that that's that's kind of how they're moving at this point. Anything that's notable and has some sort of relationship that they don't have to tell like a completely original story. I think that that's what they're going for. That is so weird, man. Um, I can't wait to watch it though. Elizabeth Olsen is great. Long story short, <laughs> I can't wait. So to watch great it. for sure. What's next on your list, man? I got a chance. I've been hearing about this for a while. Um, because. Some, somebody kept hitting me up, man. Shout out to Sean. <laughs> he kept hitting me up. It was like, bro, 
have you seen this new Matilda the musical? I was like, I ain't watched it yet, but I plan to. And I finally got around to watching it. I had to go back and watch the original, which is funny. I actually had just rewatched it, I think, last year. So I rewatched it again. I've been watching a lot of Matilda, I guess. Rewatched it again and then went ahead and watched the musical. And I must say, the musical might be just as good as the original movie. It is pretty fire. It's very rare, of course, that we get any kind of remake or reimagining that's just as good, if not better, than the original. But they were firing on all cylinders with this Matilda the Musical, man. Uh, it is starring Emma Thompson as Miss Trunchbull. Uh, Matilda's played by Alicia Ware. And Lashana Lynch is Miss Honey. I love that. Uh, and they're, they're just really killing it. Um, the music is really good. There's the there's the dance numbers are really good. Some of them include the kids, right, um, within the school. That's really nice to see. But it is a it's 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 one of the the better Netflix things I've watched in a very long time. That made me feel like I'm okay with this, and this is fine. I will say it's probably ten minutes too long, but who cares? You know what I mean? Like ten minutes is not really anything. It's it, it really is fine, and the that the acting and the music and the singing is all very well done, man. So it was a pleasant surprise. Shout out to uh Roll Doll, right? Who who did the reimagining of this? Um, and shout out to all the parties involved to be able to again just pull this off. Like Matilda is a big, big enough name, you know, for them to make a musical. So for them to decide to 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 take this under their wing, I think was already impressive. But for it to be as enjoyable as it was for me, that got me <laughs> that got me part two. So yeah, if you if you have time and the space to watch Matilda the musical, or if you enjoyed uh, the original at all, I'd say check out the musical. I think it's worthwhile. I really do. That's saying a lot. A lot of people have a ton of affection for that original Matilda movie. It's just, you know, sort of captivated, I think, a lot of people's hearts. And it brings back really, really fond memories of childhood if you grew up with that movie. You know, mm -hmm. so the fact that they were able to go back and do something that, that seems to be sort of living up to that is it, it's quite an achievement. This was also like a huge TikTok phenomenon when it dropped. Like there were so many TikToks about the musical and just the dance numbers and I think people recreating them. So it's obviously having the resonance, you know, both in the, I guess, creative space in terms of people liking it, but also just the fact that it's impactful too. Like Matilda is a thing. A lot of people definitely mm -hmm. can relate to that story and have a lot of affection for that story. So that's good to see. Um, I want to talk about Yellow Jacket Season 2, which uh, I remember about a year ago, reviewed Yellow Jacket Season 1, which was just like one of the bigger surprises of TV for me. It was such a good first season that just went in so many different corners and had so many twists and turns that I did not foresee coming. So I was looking forward to Season 2, and, and I got a chance to you know sort of watch it week to week and finish out Season 2. This one had one less episode than last season. They had nine this season and you know ten compared to the first season. But um, overall, it was, it was a bit of a letdown, uh, if I have to be honest. I think uh, Season 2 did a lot of things that replicated the success of season one, but just less so. Um, there, there, there's a ton of characters in Yellow Jackets. There's a ton of intertwining stories, and there's also a lot of nonlinear storytelling. This, this, mm -hmm. this takes place over the course of you know two different timelines. There's a timeline following the young girls as teenagers as they have been sort of stuck on this island, or not this island, but in this, in this other country after this plane crash. But then there's also like the modern day story that's right. examining them as grown-ups as they navigate life after this really, really traumatic incident. And uh, I, I think that they just had a lot of problems juggling the time spent on both of those two separate timelines because the main story to me actually feels like it's about the younger versions of the characters as cheerleaders. But I think we actually spend more time with the adults in this season, which that element of the story just started to open up and 
not answer as many questions as they probably should have. They start to just like raise questions without ever actually answering them. And I think that they're now just trying to like figure out how to how to land this plane and, and to resolve a lot of these stories without actually giving us clarity as to where they're going. And I think uh, this is just the case of becoming a little bit too a little bit too convoluted with just where the story is going. There's just so many mysteries, so many mm-hmm. unanswered things, so many things that are just not clear and not enough answers. And I think that after a certain amount of time, that can start to wear on an audience and a, and a viewer. Whereas like it was a welcome sort of surprise in season one that ended with like a really shocking finale that raised more questions, but in a, in a good way that got me excited here. It's just like, okay, now I'm starting to lose a little bit of patience. And I think the pacing and just all the stories and all the characters, they just weren't juggled as well as they were in the first season. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a letdown for me. That doesn't mean I'm out on the series. Like I'm still interested to see where they go, but it's one of those things where it's like season two just doesn't match the height of season one for me dang that is too bad um because yellow jackets is pretty cool uh it actually was up for uh i I watched the chainsaw awards with a bunch of other horror nerds this year um and it was actually up for show of the year it didn't win because stranger things is just it just wins um but but yellow jackets was in there man season one i think in particular as to get a, a, a chainsaw award um and the fact that it was recognized was like dang this show's good <laughs> it has the potential to do things and so it sucks to hear that season two might not live you know up to that potential and that question thing is real a lot of people struggle with that like if you keep asking making people ask more questions and not answering any it's like all right so like you can't keep teasing people eventually you got to give them what they want you know what i mean or you got to mm-hmm. give them something to chew on and when you don't do that, it's easy to become quickly disinterested. I'll go find a show that does give me more answers. You know what I'm saying? Or I'll go do something else that's worth my time. So, yeah, that just sucks. I do still plan on watching it, but I can't wait to check it out, man. Um, yeah. Next on my list, I have a movie, man, that is called Darby and the Dead. And this movie is I actually heard about it from social media because, um, unfortunately, what happened was – I actually not completely sure on the story yet what i what i do know is it it's it's gone away it was not gonna be on hulu for too much longer it you can't watch it anymore i know it's i i even looked for it just now i was like where the heck i think it's really gone i thought they were trip. i thought that somebody was lying to me but i think you really can't watch this movie um but what this movie is about is about a black girl in high school she lost her mom when she was younger but she is the only person who can see dead people un like, well, just ghosts, I guess. Not necessarily dead people. Well, they're dead, of course. But she can see ghosts of so people who have not passed over yet. Not only that, but sometimes the ghosts around her, it is her job to help them pass over and to help them go to live, whether you believe in heaven or the afterlife. Not only that, but she has to juggle that while being a normal teenager. She, she doesn't have her mom. She's the only person that can see these dead people. And she has to be a teenager. And it's okay. Um, it, it does turn out to be a normal, I think, you know, uh, high school kind of <laughs> TV show where she's not that popular. Um, but it's not only about that. It's also about one of her friends, not, not even her friend, but somebody that's really popular in the school dies. And now, uh, uh, that person, that girl who used to bully her, she has to help her pass over. That's kind of mm. like part two. <laughs> and I, right it's crazy right and so i i do really like uh i think that tagline right i I think i do really like the premise of the movie but it kind of turns out to be something you've seen before it kind of turns out to be 
this thing, this high school dynamic of a show, you you just feel like you've been in. And not and sometimes it's for good reasons. Uh, because I did enjoy the watch. Don't get me wrong. It, sometimes it's for good reasons. Like, dang, I'm happy I'm watching this. But also, it's like there's not enough new here, given the premise. The premise is crazy, right? It's like something that you that hasn't really been done. But they never really, I think, make the the dead part of this, the Darby and the dead part of this. They never, I think, bring it to life enough that make that makes it uh, feel like something new. But Again, it's a fine movie. It's a fine watch. Uh, Riel Downs, who plays the main character, Darby, I think she's excellent. Uh, her her uh, counterpart in the movie, Aoli uh, Cravolo is her name. She plays um, uh, uh, Capri uh, in the movie. Uh, her full name is like Capricorn. I have no idea who's naming their child Capricorn out here. But I like Capri way better. <laughs> uh, Capri, she also is really good in the movie, man. I, I think I see a lot of them and potential in them. What they'll do in uh in the future uh in fact Ailey Cravalho she was Moana she's played the she's the voice of Moana she was actually playing a live uh action character here so it was cool to see them I think they're tremendous but I just needed a little bit more in terms of uh uh the newness of the premise I needed that to carry throughout the film but it has a lot of good themes um you're gonna laugh a couple times and yeah it's a fine watch uh I wish it was somewhere for people to watch but I'll flag it if it comes back up again there's a reason I have to figure out. There's a reason it like went away. Um, but yeah, I have to figure out the whole story. Oh, well, the, the reason it got pulled was because Disney pulled a ton of stuff off of Hulu and Disney Plus. They they replicated what HBO and Warner Discovery did earlier this year in mm-hmm. which they have to cut costs. And because I don't know if people know this, like to host stuff on a on a on a streaming service costs money. You have to pay residuals. It costs money to actually keep titles and, and those titles that don't have as high viewership as they would expect and want out of these products and these films and TV series, they decided to pull them. And so this was a part of, I think like 50 or 60 titles My that God. Disney pulled off of Disney plus and Hulu. Um, so it is unfortunate. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're no longer in the day where it's like, yeah, I can just sign up for a streaming service and I can have access to this thing in perpetuity. That doesn't exist. Like that's not the case. You can only have access to something in perpetuity if, if you buy it and own it, which is, you know, why Des and I are physical media owners. We buy things yeah. because it's like, <laughs> I don't want somebody to just pull some shit off of Hulu mm. one day and I can't watch it anymore so that's unfortunate that people don't have access to it but maybe like you know like you said maybe one day disney can license it out maybe to another streaming service like maybe maybe they license it out to netflix or to 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 paramount i don't know and 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 they pay for it and and you know perhaps finds a new audience but uh you know that's one of those things like where the business side comes in and affects you know this artistic this artistic story that uh you know if you didn't watch it when it was there then you you might just have to wait around if you do have some interest into it but um that's you know good to hear that it has like some really interesting ideas and started mm-hmm. to explore, you know, these more fantastical concepts. Um, to keep it moving here, I'll just quickly talk about Bubkiss, which recently premiered on Peacock. This is Pete <laughs> Davidson's new show. Um, and Pete Davidson has become a guy that I've just liked more and more over the past few years. I've actually, like, decided to really sort of invest some time into watching Pete Davidson things. And mm-hmm. the guy's funny. Uh, the King of Staten Island, which came out a few years ago, yeah, good movie, really funny movie. And that film sort of examined, it was like a somewhat fictionalized version of his life well buck is now in comparison to that you know sort of sort of makes that pale in comparison because Bupkis truly is like a heightened fictionalized version of pete davidson's life like this is essentially a series about him everything that happens here is not true necessarily but they do reflect 
and recount a lot of important events in Pete Davis's life in terms of his comedy career, his time with SNL, taking on different movie projects, things of that nature, and also really his family life and how he's gone through a lot of changes just with his family, his upbringing in Staten Island, but also just the time he spent in rehab. But it's really, really funny. I think that this show is absolutely hilarious. And it was a huge surprise for me because they dropped all the episodes at once. I think it's eight episodes. It's a half hour comedy series. But what really surprised me is the fact that Pete Davidson has been able to get just an endless amount of cameos in this show. There are so many people that pop up here. I'm talking like dozens and dozens and dozens of cameos. I would encourage people, if you plan to watch this, don't look at the cast list. Don't look at a trailer. Just discover it because I promise you, you're going to be surprised at least like six or seven times by who <laughs> pops up in the show. Um, what's not a spoiler, like what's very much communicated are are the main leads. Edie Falco is playing Pete Davidson's mother. She is obviously phenomenal. Edie Falco is Carmela from The Sopranos. She's tremendous here. Mm-hmm. But now Pete Davidson has become probably the only guy in the world not named Martin Scorsese to get Joe Pesci out of retirement. I don't know how he did it. I don't know what pool he has, but Joe Pesci is playing his grandfather, if I'm not mistaken, in the show and gets a lot of time out of Joe Pesci. He's in pretty much almost all the episodes and is really, really funny once again. And so I I love this. It was such a quick and easy watch. I watched it while I was on vacation. And again, a lot of surprises and a lot of funny moments because Pete Davidson, he's one of those public figures in which his personal and professional life has been highly publicized mm-hmm. so even if you don't watch like pete davison movies or if you're not a big fan of them you probably just know him by proxy because of the things that he's been wrapped up with whether it's who he's dating or right. situations he's pulled into or just the fact that he did go to rehab or the movie projects he's been associated with so i promise you you will find something that you're like oh i actually remember that happening because that was like a big headline at that mm-hmm. particular point in his life and so i would definitely encourage people to watch it it's really really funny and i think in terms of being sort of a, a highly fictionalized fictionalized you know sort of recounting of somebody's life it's sort of in the vein the same vein of like a curb your enthusiasm but also just like the fact that p davison did this a couple of years ago with the the king of staten island and decided to double and triple down on it. It, it it's a really cool thing to see so i definitely would encourage people to watch it on peacock Pete Davidson is so interesting, man. He's also been like in a ton of commercials recently. <laughs> he he got has, like, yeah, he has a right. ton of commercials, bro. <laughs> it's like Taco Bell, and I don't know what's going on. The dude is just, I don't know. He knows how to stay booked and, and, and busy. Uh, sounds like Bupkis is pretty decent, though. I'm gonna have to check that out, especially the Joe Pesci piece, because that makes almost zero sense to me. Like, I don't know how. I just don't understand how like Martin Scorsese can get Joe Pesci, and then like. Pete Davidson can get Joe Pesci, and this is like the only two people that can get. Joe, I would have never guessed <laughs> that 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 was a thing, man. So yeah, I can't wait to check out Bupkis, dog. Um, I'm I'm gonna move on to the video game world for a second. A brand new game just came out, but a very big franchise that people know and love has just released into the masses, and that is Diablo Four, man. One of the Again, one of the most beloved dungeon crawlers, I think, of all time, if not the most beloved dungeon crawler of all time. You have to take that up with the RuneScape people. That's probably the other <laughs> the other dungeon crawler people would argue for. But man, Diablo 4 is here. It is still it probably still has one of the best cinematic trailers for a video game that I've ever seen. It is just so well done. The music is crazy. The visuals. It is a fire cinematic trailer to Diablo 4. And so I was looking very much forward to Diablo 4. I have beat Diablo 2 and 3 at some point in time. I technically have not finished the story, though 
I'm no, I'm so close. I could probably like go beat it right now. <laughs> like that's how close I am to the end of the main story. But Diablo is a game that also has a ton of content post beating the game. In fact, beating the game is like really like the prologue <laughs> of the game. That's just how Diablo works when it comes to its campaigns. There's so much to do after you beat the main story, but. It's been fun so far. Uh, I really like it. There's so many, so many build videos and articles and things like that. And that's what makes games like this fun. Kind of dungeon crawler RPGs really fun, man, is you can really try different builds and different things and have a good story. The cinematics kind of remain fire <laughs> throughout this. It's still not the cinematic trailer, but they, there's still a lot of really good looking cinematics happening throughout the game um, as you're playing. Uh, you can play with up to four people. So me and the boys have still been playing together um, whenever we can. And yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a fun experience um, because Diablo is just one of those games where you uh, you always look for uh, for it to come out um, because it is it is like a not I don't want to say brain dead, but you are just kind of running around smacking stuff. <laughs> That's what Diablo is, and so it's it it, it can be kind of relaxing. I think. In those ways and when you get a good story to go with that man uh the main villain of this game is lilith who is the daughter and, and this is some some probably diablo lore you didn't ask for but who is the daughter uh of mephisto who uh in the in the game who was a prime evil lilith is the main villain here and it, it's kind of cool to just see her uh i think maneuver throughout the world as the daughter of uh uh shoot the devil you know what i mean it's, it's, it's just kind of she, she's just a really cool character uh, to see and, and and what's interesting about Diablo is Lilith doesn't exist in a pure evil way in which you think it is right this is actually Lilith and another character hated the war between heaven and hell so they kind of made their own place <laughs> called sanctuary and that's kind of where the game lies it's like you are um, a person in sanctuary um, so yeah man it's, it's 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 been a really fun uh, story so far I can't wait to finish it but had to put it on people's radar because it's still good it's still a really good game. It still feels Diablo. It's just updated graphics, updated uh, builds and things like that. I have uh, I have a sorceress <laughs> of what I have, but you can have a druid and a barbarian and a uh, and a necromancer, and it's just it's it's just fun Diablo fun, man. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. Did you catch the picture on social a couple of days ago of the Diablo billboard in New York? in front of the the orange skyscape of new york city if people don't know which i think it's it's gotten across the country at this point but new york a few days ago was looking like fucking dune out here like the sky was just completely the air pollution was just terrible because of the wildfire wildfires in canada but somebody snapped a picture which was so funny because i saw it from my office that i work in in times square there's a diablo billboard promoting the Mm -hmm. game obviously and it's customizable because it says "Welcome to Hell, New York City." And somebody caught a photo, and behind it, you see this fucking orange, apocalyptic-looking <laughs> sky with the Diablo billboard <laughs> with this really satanic imagery. I thought it was just hilarious to see that. Uh, it, yeah. it just, you know, it's a testament to just like the timing of it all. Oh, uh, that was crazy. The, the t- I there's no better promo. I wonder how many people bought the game after that. It was like, yeah, we just gotta. <laughs> We just got to go buy Diablo, man. What I will say also about Diablo, they've been kind of killing the marketing. Not only that billboard and the luck of the sky being on fire with that billboard, too. It's crazy. Uh, not only that billboard, but they got Megan Fox to come do some some stuff for them on socials. Like right now, uh, they're replying to people's tweets. So people who play Diablo have been uploading clips. They've been replying to their tweets with video, like nine second video clips of Megan Fox responding to their tweets in like Diablo fashion. It's kind of crazy. I was like, how did they 
do this or how did they pull this off it's a really cool idea but they've also been killing the marketing man and uh one one more thing i'll add is blizzard has been going through it there's a lot <laughs> that blizzard has been going through it's been a lot of weird allegation stuff going on with them but it seems that they have kind of pulled themselves together they have done their best to expunge all of those people and they've kind of tried to move forward the best that they can and i think they're kind of feeling the fruits of again trying to get all that stuff together man so good job on their part for sure uh next on my list i just want to quickly talk about ted lasso season three coming into ted lasso season three there were rumors and somewhat confirmation that this was going to be the final season and i love ted lasso as a show the first two seasons were were really great to me especially the first season which i think is still still the best but the second season started to get to more mature more darker themes and, and start to explore the psyche of the main character ted lasso of course but also some of the supporting characters and so i was very much looking forward to what they were going to do here with season three but there was also just a lack of clarity as to whether or not this was actually the end they didn't necessarily promote it that way but again a lot of the creators and crew members were saying like yeah this is kind of it and i watched season three and they wrapped up everything it had 12 episodes like the like the other two seasons and it was a very uneven experience i gotta say i was pretty let down by what i saw here um i think it's easily the weakest of the three seasons mm -hmm. a large part of that is due to the fact that i think now ted lasso has grown to become a show that's sort of exceeded the ambition of what it set out to be initially it started off as like a half hour comedy it was a very easy watch very lighthearted, very much stuck to the comedy as they started to get a little bit more mature and dark in the second season you could start to see them start to open up and play with again just more dramatic and mature themes and ideas and now this season they really dive into that a lot but they also try to maintain the humor which some of it still hits, and, and some of it's pretty good, and there were some moments where I'm like, yeah, this feels like Ted Lasso, but a lot of it feels like that they just they just got a little bit ahead of themselves, and, and, and most of the episodes now are an hour long. This is no longger a half-hour comedy. Like, this has turned into mm. a full-fledged full, full -fledged, like comedy drama that's, that, that's on par with, you know, hour-long episodes, and even the last episode was 75 minutes long, and so um, it, it felt like a series finale, that final episode. It felt like that they wrapped up everything, and Ted's story arc it's it, it certain it's certainly concluded here they very much give it that sense of finality but we, we we just don't have that sense of certainty from even the creators like i feel like that nobody refuses to just confirm that th that this is the end and and that's kind of just like a, a bit of a confounding decision to me and and, and watching the season i was just mostly feeling that when we're not with Ted and we're focusing on other characters, that's when I'm least enjoying the show. But when we when we are with him and we're following his main story, that stuff works a lot for me because we're we're unpacking a lot of the stuff that that he was going through with his family and his son and wanting to be closer to them, even though he's you know overseas and the divorce and just his wife, his ex wife, excuse me, sort of moving on and establishing a new life. That stuff was really really good to me. Anytime we start to ex examine some of the other supporting characters, some of the I don't want to call them lesser, but you know, as we just move down the tiers, it just it just became less and less interesting. So I think it was a really uneven experience across the board. And again, I think it was probably the weakest of the three. Not bad by any means, but you just wouldn't expect more, especially if it, if this is the last time that they're going to be out, you know, for this show. I'm also very interested to see what this does when 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 the Emmys rolls around because Ted Lasso has been 
incredible when it when it comes to winning awards, especially at the Emmys. This mm-hmm. time, I'm not 100% sure. I feel like that there's a lot of other better shows, especially in that realm. You talk about like Abbott Elementary and things of that nature mm-hmm. that are just yeah. doing it better, you know, and, and, and maintaining their quality, whereas Ted Lasso feels like it's sort of dropped off in terms of quality for me as these seasons have progressed. So I was a little let down by it, but, um, you know, ultimately still a, still a decent watch. And if you want to tap into Ted Lasso, I think it's still something worth, you know, sort of carving out time to do so. Yeah, and I, I still plan to do so as well, man. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's hard to stick that landing, man. <laughs> it really is. Or, like, just to stay focused all the way until the end. And it makes, again, every show, I think, that is able to do that. You just have to kind of paint it in a different light. Unfortunately, I thought Tom, or I thought Ted Lasso was going to end up being like that. Even though I don't watch it, just all the things I heard about it, like you said, the Emmys, it just felt like a show that could end, you know what I mean, in, 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 in the right direction. So, Man, it's 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 weird. I think when that, especially something so short, like three seasons, is not a lot. Nah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So for them to kind of go this direction is, I don't know how they got there. That's that's very interesting, and they made very interesting decisions there. But I guess we'll have to see what happens. Like you said, during Emmy seasons, like dang, is anything going to come out of this, or are they going to do a, another season in a couple years? I don't know, man. We'll 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 have to see what happens. Um, I have another video game on deck. I need to talk about another really good game and another huge franchise. Not only a huge franchise, a franchise that probably changed <laughs> the landscape of gaming when it came out, man. But Street Fighter VI has finally hit video game consoles across the board. And boy, this is the year of fighting games, y'all. I know There's a lot coming out this year, and there are going to be other good games. And shoot, these fighting games might not even get game of the year. You know what I'm saying? They might not, uh, as as individually, they might not touch anything. They might not be able to touch Zelda and Final Fantasy and some of these things. But it's video, it is fighting game year, man. Street Fighter Six, it's amazing. It's really good. They changed the mechanics ever so slightly to think, keep things fresh and reinvigorating. Those who don't know, Street Fighter Five had a cult following. But it, it was known for, like, just being okay, if that makes sense. Street Fighter 4 was huge. Street Fighter 5 was not as big as 4. 6, I think they're back. I think they're. I think it's time again for people to start picking up fighting games in a, a, a comfortable, more uh, frequent way, man. Because, yeah, these new mechanics are really fun. There's 18 characters on the roster, and they're all fire. Like, I haven't played a character. I was like, man, this person sucks. Or this person is not fun. Everyone is very different in their own ways. They're really fun. I love I love Street Fighter controls too. It's it's so interesting because uh, compared to like Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat controls always feel a little older, right? Because they don't have diagonals in in Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat is left down, right back, X square. You know what I'm saying? Versus Street Fighter is like you got to roll. You you probably need a D pad. You know what I'm saying? Or you probably need a stick of some sort to play Street Fighter. And I always love that. I think about their fighter system and their controls, um, and they feel even better here with the with with the new I think revitalized uh, fighting system that they have. So they maintain all the things that we love about Street Fighter while giving us some new looks, um, some things to, to look at. Man, it looks really good. The graphics look really good, and yeah, a lot of the new characters are fun. One of my favorite characters. Of course, naturally, I gravitated towards the black girl. Duh, I'm about to go play her. Her name is Kimberly. She's great. She's absolutely amazing. But there's a lot of other characters I think people will gravitate towards when they pick up the game, man. Ken and Ryu are still here. They're still great. 
other characters come back here and they're still great. Um, and yeah, I think I think people are going to have fun with this, man. I really do. It's been a while since I played a Street Fighter, but I was seeing like the gameplay and all the footage from this one. And I, I, I have to agree, I haven't played it yet, but just based on the, the looks that I've seen, it looks incredible. This is one I definitely want to pick up just because of like the fighting mechanics and how smooth it looks and just the graphics, mm-hmm. all the all the all the new enhancements that they've made. And it has a lot of those classic characters because um, definitely grew up a big Street Fighter fan playing those earlier games. But this one, this one looks definitely like worth the pickup for sure, like actually spending money on to like spend some time with. And like you say, mm-hmm. sort of establishing and developing a relationship with it and sticking with it um it hasn't been too many fighting games that have made me feel that way recently but as you said this year uh we're, we're entering into a new era and we'll talk about another one later with mortal Kombat. but i'm excited to eventually get my hands on this one so i'm actually going to pivot and talk about season four of barry which just wrapped up on hbo it's actually the final season of barry and i talked about the show about a year ago on the podcast after binging the first three seasons and i think that it's one of the best shows on tv it's absolutely incredible bill Hader is really proving himself to be one of the most interesting and i think inventive creators in terms of filmmakers behind the camera this season this final season he actually decided to go ahead and direct all the episodes and every time out he's just always setting out to do something completely different completely original and this season in particular and i know you just started watching so i won't spoil anything specifically but this season in particular finds barry in the worst and most precarious position he's been in and so you have to figure out and see how he's able to maneuver his way out of the circumstances he's found himself in but i think coming into the season i was just hoping and wanting and just waiting to see how everything was going to play out for his character. And of course, like all the supporting characters, especially considering that they were going to wrap things up. And one of the things that I love the most about this season and also the previous season is how the show has just gotten progressively darker. You know, when Barry started very much more of a half an hour traditional comedy on HBO with some elements of darkness, but with season three and now especially season four, this has just turned into a full on bloody murderous drama for the most part and the characters are in a super dark place by the time we reach them at the top mm-hmm. of the season and i think that for me it all mostly worked i, I really love the creative choices here there were a lot of risky things that they did they took some swings there was a uh, a choice made in about the middle of the season that i know a lot of people disagreed with and it was it was pretty polarizing to see where our characters ended up by the end of this um i'll just quickly say it was a time jump sort of decision that they made won't specify what the reason Mm -hmm. was or how long it was but that was something that i saw a lot of chatter about on the internet but for me i loved it because i thought that it was a great way to progress the characters showcase how the passage of time has ultimately affected them and their relationships with each other and then of course just how everything closed out with the series finale that came out a couple of weeks ago so Overall, Barry just absolutely delivered for me, and I'm just so incredibly excited to see what Bill Hader does next. I think that him directing a film is something that I'm totally on board for just because of all the tricks that he employed on the show, all of the different genres and styles that he implemented throughout the course of this series, and just his overall ambition, his level of ambition in terms of filmmaking. I think that he has an incredibly bright future in terms of being a director, and I'm more interested in seeing that type of work out of him. He's he's great in front of the camera, but he mostly impressed me with just all of the things that he was able to accomplish behind the camera. So I thought Barry was absolutely incredible. It's definitely one of the most enjoyable and watchable TV series that HBO has put out in quite a while. So that will do it for all of the stuff we've been doing over the past few weeks. We just wanted to do, to do a quick catch up. So if you've seen or have consumed any of these things, please hit us up. Let us know what you think about them. Um, let's transition and talk about the news of the week. We got a few big items that we have not had a chance to cover or provide reactions to. We'll start on the Marvel side of things and we're just going to work our way through and talk about these things. The big one is that 
there are a lot of rumors about the Fantastic Forecast. Now, a few weeks ago, we certainly reacted to the news that Adam Driver is apparently the front runner and has accepted the role of Reed Richards, aka Mr. Fantastic. But it looks like they have figured out the rest of the leads that are going to be comprised of this group. And here is the list of who we're looking to be our next iteration of the Fantastic Four. As I mentioned, Adam Driver will be playing Reed Richards, aka Mr. Fantastic. Margot Robbie is now presumed to be Sue Storm, aka the Invisible Woman. Paul Mesco is looking to play Johnny Storm, aka the Human Torch. And last but certainly not least, David Diggs is apparently going to be playing Ben Grimm, aka the Thing. Now, it's important to note this has not been confirmed, but some sources online, some people we follow, some people we're connected to uh, have certainly corroborated this information and have said that this is likely going to be the cast of Fantastic Four when Marvel Studios ultimately reveals that information. I do want to note that we recently heard another rumor that was swirling around was that Margot Robbie was not apparently the first choice for Sue Storm, which is not unusual. A lot of people are typically second, third choices to these roles, but apparently the first choice was Emma Stone, and negotiations ultimately broke down between her and Marvel because she was just too expensive. They did not want to spend the money. They have look, they're looking to cut costs across the board and, and reduce output and you know not, not, not spend a ton of money necessarily on talent fees, and allegedly her talent fee was probably exceeding that of Margot Robbie's, which I think would make sense if you look at the bodies of work, but... Margot Robbie, obviously, no slouch herself, an incredibly well-known actress, and, and apparently is going to step in the role of Sue Storm here. But what do you think about this as possibly being the next era of Fantastic Four and, and, and the four big people that we're looking to, to hopefully establish a relationship with once that movie comes out? Wow. Talk about a, a cast. Um, starting with Adam Driver, man. I mean, I'm down. <laughs> I think we've been down for a while. We've talked about this, you know, a couple times uh, with, with Adam Driver, man. Uh, it's again this is still one of those things i think completely for me i just want to see it like i need to see him like in a suit or something for me to get 100 percent on board but i absolutely of course love the idea of adam driver being Reed richards man he's one of the hardest actors working out here um and yeah i i i, I think i think he's he's right for the job margot robbie man as sue storm is a very it's kind of surprising to me just because margot robbie is i don't know her her acting i think body of work is so interesting because she's never in like the biggest blockbusters in the world you know what i'm saying margot robbie is actually like a very artsy actress when you look For at sure. her like she's mm -hmm. in tarantino movies and like you know in babylon like she's never in like let's go do this blockbuster thing and, and that surprised me to hear that margot robbie as sue storm might be a thing because of that reason i've never imagined her in something like this uh but of course i'm down for it she's an actress i think she can do whatever the hell she wants to do <laughs> you know I, that's how good she is and i sometimes i do wish she was in more front-facing things like this the closest thing i can think of is like something like suicide squad and even that didn't do great you know what i'm saying so it's like i, I just kind of want her to be in front of uh, uh more people and of course i of course barbie is going to do that right but uh, I love. I would love if if this was a quick follow. I am kind of sad about uh, Emma Stone though. I really like Emma Stone as an actress, man. She has definitely become one of my favorites over the years. And I I technically in this moment see her more as Sue Storm than Margot Robbie does because of Margot Robbie's eccentricness, right, in the roles that she plays. I don't see her as Sue Storm as much right now in this moment. I do see more as Emma Stone, and so that does make me a little sad knowing they couldn't get Emma Stone, but. I'm still down for it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I, one thing Marvel gonna do is they are gonna have a cast 
and the cast is usually going to make sense. And in, in, so I'm not worried in that area at all. Pe- Paul Mescal as Johnny Storm. This dude was in like one movie and now he's in everything. What is happening? Like what? Ha- I, okay. So y'all know I love After Sun. That's one of my favorite movies of last year. I thought it was tremendous. That's it. That's all it took. <laughs> was after At Sun. best actor nomination. Hey, that's what did it. That best that I, shot him to the moon. Shot him to the moon. You about to do go from that small movie to Gladiator and potentially Johnny Storm. Crazy, bro. Um, and the only only thing I'll say, I haven't seen Paul Mescal enough to say he'd be a great Johnny Storm. Cause but we know Johnny Storm is quippy though, right? He is like a mm-hmm. one of those people. So I see him in a really serious role. So at this moment. I don't see it yet. It just is what it is. I, but I, he's an actor. He's a really good actor. We know that for sure. So I'm, I'm, I, I still can't wait to see that. David Diggs is Ben Grimm. That's, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I love David Diggs. And I think anybody can play the thing, right? It's not like <laughs> he, he fits any type of mold. Um, but I will say David has been tremendous over the years in anything he does. Uh, he was just Sebastian the Little Mermaid. I thought Sebastian was fine. He looked weird, <laughs> but I thought his 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 portrayal of Sebastian was fine. David Diggs always is going to show up, man. But I think this is just a cast. I just I it sounds good, but I just want to see them. It's something about seeing it that will make me believe it when it comes to these guys. Um, but excited nonetheless. Yeah, it's definitely uh it's difficult to to necessarily like see it come to life because what I do like about this decision is that they've paired two big superstars with two relative unknowns. Mm-hmm. I think more people know David this, than, than, than Paul Meskel, but again, D- David hasn't done a ton of work. He just recently became, you know, very well known, obviously Hamilton, and he's done right. some smaller stuff, you know, here and there. But I think that the idea to, to, to bring these two together, doing two, you know, very well known superstars versus like two people that are um, a little bit more up and coming is a really smart decision. And Adam Driver has worked with incredibly talented talented filmmakers, same as Margot Robbie, and I think as the lead, you know, really is Reed Richards and Sue Storm. That makes a lot of sense. You need some people with pedigree in those particular roles because they're going to be the most mm-hmm. front facing of this particular franchise. And then the other two are a little bit more on the on the on the side of a, being a wild card, but. That's kind of interesting to me, just because Johnny Storm and, and, and Ben Grimm represent those uh, mm-hmm. those type of characteristics as well. Like you don't necessarily know how they can bring that to life until you see it, as as you mentioned earlier. So I'm 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 really excited for this. Like if this does shape out to be the actual cast, I think these are great selections. I think that it's somewhat surprising, but that's a good thing. While you mm-hmm. also still got some of those people that you know are sort of dependable in terms of performances and being sort of the the central focal points of franchises. Because Adam Driver and Margot Robbie, they've succeeded at that before with. Star Wars and DC and so I got no doubt that if uh if they casted them if they think that these four are the best that they haven't missed so far with casting really over at Marvel so I think that this is going to be uh resulting in some great great returns once that movie comes out um we should talk about some Disney plus series we have been speculating about what's going to come out this year because Marvel again is in a state of transition um we talked about a report that came out a while ago about them pushing back certain shows and 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 maybe reducing the output to to I guess help with the oversaturation of Marvel stuff that we've seen over the past couple of years but we got some solidify release dates for a couple of shows we found out that season two of loki is going to be coming out october 6th that's going to continue to be a week-to-week release and so they're going to follow up season one that came out a couple of years ago and we also found out that echo which has been 
long gestating project over there will debut on November 29th, right after Thanksgiving. But all episodes are going to drop at once. They're going to actually do a binge model release for this, which is the first time that any Marvel Studios show will be taking that sort of approach. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about this decision? Does it get you excited about, you know, the fall and what we have to look forward to this upcoming season? And also just what do you think about the decision to make Echo sort of a binge model release as opposed to a week to week release as as we've, you know, sort of traditionally seen out of these shows? Yeah, I I was actually surprised to hear that we would be getting Loki and Echo back to back like this. Um, I thought I think we both speculated that they would push one of them back <laughs> to next year, ma- mainly Echo, because Loki we had already seen you know a decent amount uh, about Loki, whether it's footage and promo, all of it. Uh, and and yeah, to see that it's coming back to back like this, it's definitely surprising. So it's definitely shaping up to be uh, a heavy fall for the MCU, given the Marvels. You know what I mean? Which comes out in November. It's kind of crazy. To see that it's all back to back like this, um, but I guess they'll have a break after that. <laughs> I guess there won't be much, you know, uh, after that anymore. Um, and so I think it's fine, depending on depending on how good everything is. If that makes sense, like if Loki comes out and we're like, "Damn, Loki is still really good," I don't think we'll complain. What I do like is two things. I, I, something I like about Echo and don't like about Echo. I, I am I am a little apprehensive about it coming so close together from everything else for it to be like oh we're watching loki we're watching marvels then we're watching echo it does seem like a lot really fast what i do like about it is we have talked about a long time the interest of echo and i think a binge model makes way more sense than us being giving us the week to week um for 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 a show that we're all not bought into completely yet in my mind i'm kind of like well just drop it because this is a character that we don't know if it can hold the weight week to week like some of these other characters can hold the weight week to week or some of these characters that we've 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 lived with. So I think that makes sense. I don't know. I, I love that they're experiment or experimenting with something like this or a character such as Echo because we don't know that much about her. And a lot of people don't barely know who she is. It's like I just dropped the show. And if it's good, it's good. And then move on from there. So I like that experiment. I just don't know that I like the experiment happening so close to the other two projects of the Marvels and of Loki. But other than that, I'm kind of okay with all of this, man. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, November's going to be jam-packed for sure. I'm I'm super excited about Loki. I have no concerns with that. I think that this binge model release for Echo is signaling one thing to me. The show's probably not that good. I mm. think that Disney Marvel is probably dropping this all at one time to get it out the way and move on. And because they haven't done this with any other show, they've literally never done this before. And most Disney Plus shows don't do this. There's only been a couple of examples of like, let's just drop this all at once. We talked about Star Wars Visions earlier. I think that that makes sense because you're viewing that as a collective. You're viewing right. that as like a, an experience of animation styles represented from across the globe but with the disney plus series we know that they've leaned towards drawing this out making it a week-to-week conversation and they've also done it with the star wars series as well with like the mandalorian and and andor there have been rumors about the production of echo some of the trouble production and just some of the you know challenges that they've had we also still don't know how many episodes is going to be they haven't confirmed that because i think it was initially going to be six but then you know there were some rumors flying that they might have reduced it to four um to sort of combat some of those issues that that they were facing and so um, I, I agree about the point of, you know, just dealing with the with the conversation in the show as is because it might not be able to hold the weight of a week to week conversation. But I think that that's probably more emphatic of the point that it just might not be that good if we're being honest. And uh, we'll have to see. I hope it's good. I want it to be good. But I've never necessarily been interested in the show to begin with because mm-hmm. her introduction in Hawkeye wasn't that great. She was a cool character, but 
it didn't do enough for me to say like, yeah, I can't wait for Echo to come out. And so mm-hmm. I think with this whole shift in ideology with Disney and Marvel and possibly reducing the amount of projects and, you know, sort of moving things at a, at a I guess, a more st- steady pace, getting this sort of out the way, quote unquote, at the same time with the binge model probably just makes sense to the bottom line more so than, you know, drawing it out all the way through the holiday season because then they could just shift gears and keep it pushing and move on to the next thing. But we'll have to see. It just depends on the quality of the series. Um, we also found out that with a big, big movie coming up, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, which is going to be the beginning of the end for this particular saga, we found out that Jeff Loveness, who was initially attached to write the movie, is no longer writing the movie. And this was confirmed on the Hot Mike podcast. And apparently it doesn't have anything to do with the writer strike. That That is not the reason for this. But he has exited the project. Uh, Jeff Loveness was also recently the writer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And so he was going to transition from that film and to continue work on the Kang Dynasty. He had even in the press run when he was talking about Quantumania started to tease out stuff about the King Dynasty. He seemed very excited about some of the ideas that he had and some of the things that were coming together for that film. And they're obviously deep into the pre-production stage, the pre-development stage of that movie, but he's out and they have not confirmed who's going to be writing that movie. Um, what does this tell you about him exiting the film, uh, especially considering that we're coming off of Quantumania, which was you know, certainly not the success that Marvel Studios hoped it would be? Man, uh, <laughs> I mean... I'm sure there's just a ton of creative differences or too, maybe even too much pressure on Jeff loving it. I, it could be just a number of things and reasons on why he de- anyone decides to leave a project. Um, what I will say is it, I, uh, unfortunate for him, <laughs> but it does open up, you know, somebody, somebody else to come in and, 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 and do this thing uh, that, that does feel a little bit more conf- uh, confident in the project and comfortable with the project, man. Um, and, and to be honest, I really don't have much more to add outside of that because this hap- this is happening to us so often now where writers are leaving or they're moving on or directors getting dropped or actors. It's just so much stuff moving around right now, but I, I will agree. This is a big movie that for, for this to be happening. Um, but yeah, again, in my mind, this is maybe, maybe Ant- Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania just wasn't, the ideas <laughs> that that Marvel was looking for didn't hit home as it was looking for, and they were like, "We need to find somebody else." Maybe Jeff Loveness was like, "You know, I'm okay with that," <laughs> or like, "You know," I, and, and that happens. It really does. And so I think I I, I am kind of excited to see who might take the helm now as the new writer writer of that movie. You know, if something if we might use somebody old or we might use somebody new, I don't know, but I am interested to see where it goes. Kevin Feige's not fucking around anymore. I think that uh, we're in a state and in a position where the MCU can pretty much no longer afford to make the mistakes the size of Quantumania. They they just can't do that because we're getting deep into this this saga and and what they're ultimately trying to do with King Dynasty Secret Wars. Like every decision is so crucial and results in hundreds of millions of dollars of consequence that they can't take chances mm-hmm. like they've tried to do, which I admire them for taking swings, but uh, the Rick and Morty writers coming in to do these movies just has not worked. Um, and that's not a shot to their work on Rick and Morty. It's just not been a great transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not worked. And so uh, there have been other reports of Kevin Feige becoming more intricately involved once again in the development of these projects. We know he's spread thin. They, they've 
done, you know, endless amounts of TV shows and specials and movies. It's a lot to juggle, but I think that this signals that he is taking a very much more hands-on approach and making sure that their crown jewel, which is Avengers, has to be on point. Um, we even saw with Blade that they got a new writer and director because exactly. things just weren't working. Mm. They know that they cannot mess that up. That is a very, very important project to them. King Dynasty, no different. And so if they had to go ahead and let Jeff Loveness go, which I think is what happened here. I think that they let him go. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why we haven't heard a ton about it. That seems like it might have just been the better decision because Quantumania, many people had problems with that script in the writing. That was a, a lot of people's problems with that movie. People were like, yo, what is this story? What are these jokes? What, what, what What's coming together here? And uh, it didn't work for many people. It became the lowest grossing Ant-Man movie out of the whole trilogy. And so... Seems like it's a course correction. And so um, if that's the case, it is unfortunate for Loveness. You never want to see somebody lose a job mm -hmm. if that's what happened um, in this whole situation. But I guess they got to do what's best for the brand and what's best for the story that they're trying to tell moving forward. So we'll have to see. Um, and in our last Marvel-specific item, casually Anthony Mackie just revealed that the Captain America 4 title has changed all of a sudden. Uh, we thought that this movie was going to be called Captain America New World Order. It's no longer going to be titled that. It's actually now going to be called Captain America Brave New World. That movie's going to come out next May. Harrison Ford's coming in as, as General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, replacing the late William Hurt, who passed away last year. And so Harrison Ford's coming in here. We know, again, Anthony Mackie has taken up the mantle of Captain America. That character, Sam Wilson, has taken up the, Amer uh, the mantle of Captain America. And there's a lot of rumors about what this film is going to be. We've gotten somewhat of, of, of some soft confirmations in terms of villain and, and the leader coming back and Tim Blake Nelson, all these different things. But mm -hmm. what do you think about this title change, the fact that they decided to pivot from New World Order to, to change it over to Brave New World? Man, New World Order just sounds cooler to me. It's something about it that's just like, I don't know, rebellious. <laughs> Brave New World, it, it's too... Uh... Okay, so it depends on the Brave New World they're talking about, right? There is the book by, by Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, which I was forced to read at some point, I think in like the eighth grade or something. But it, it does have a lot of themes and crazy dark themes in Brave New World, the book. Because uh, it really is a dystopian, you know, kind of book about a different world. They'd be taking all kind of crazy drugs. It's crazy. But I don't know if they'll go that direction. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I can't foresee Marvel being like Brave New World. That book is crazy. Let's put in some of these really dark themes about a new future and make it. In, I don't know. I just don't see that for the for a Captain America movie and New World Order felt like. One, we already knew it was going to be more grounded. It's a Captain America movie. New World Order, though, felt like something that could be darker, that could, you know, contain some of those darker elements. I think that will come with a new black Captain America. <laughs> you know what I mean? Brave New World is feels, again, although the, the book title is happy, the book itself is not. Here, I don't know. It feels weird. It feels, I don't know. It doesn't, it just doesn't fit for me. Brave New World sounds too happy for me in this context. Unless, again, they're like talking about some of those themes that are in the book. So I I don't know. I, I think I like New World Order better. It just is what it is. It could just even be the assonance or the way the words sound. New World Order just sounds cooler than a Brave New World. But well, Brave New World also, I don't. it just sounds happy. I don't like it because <laughs> it sounds too happy for me, man. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I do agree. New World Order sounds cooler. Uh, Brave New World is leaning towards more optimistic ideals and themes. Honestly, I think that they did this just to be politically correct. New World Order has actual real life implications in terms of 
the conspiracies that people have come up with over the years in terms of what the, I guess, the quote-unquote new world order might look like in society. Mm-hmm. And there's also some, uh, I don't know, I guess for lack of a better term, some some anti-Semitic implications that, that, that are tied mm-hmm. to new world order. And um, Tim Blake Nelson is Jewish, and he's in this movie. And so I just think that they wanted to avoid that smoke. I think mm-hmm. that that's ultimately what this is about. Because I don't know how much the title will really mean to the movie. Like, a lot of these exactly. titles are meaningless Mm -hmm. um i think that they just did it to avoid you know some possible backlash that they might have received politically on that spectrum considering one of their lead actors in the film is jewish and there's like ties to the you know what that might might mean with that terminology new world order um it gets deep into the weed of things but i think you know disney is just trying to just trying to cover their ass and so they just changed it to brave new world um hopefully the movie's just good though you know we've heard the movie is like shaping up to be a good one and there's a lot of exciting things about it the cast seems huge um not only harrison ford coming in here but of course tim blake nelson coming back um other people from the incredible hulk movie coming back we just found out seth rollins is in the movie wwe superstar seth rollins is in the movie as as one of the members of serpent society Uh, a lot of cool things that they can do to, to, to bring this to life and so i'm just hoping it shapes out to be a really satisfying satisfying experience and so uh we'll, we'll see when it comes out next may uh, we're going to transition to the dc side of things because the big news out of the, the dc camp is the fact that james gunn is deep into pre-production on superman legacy we know and found out recently he's not only writing the movie he's directing the movie and apparently they have some front runners for their two main leads for the film both clark kent aka superman but also lois lane i'll just quickly run down them and you know we can share our thoughts here but the three front runners for the casting of clark kent aka superman are nicholas holt david cornsweat and tom Brittany. so nicholas holt has been around for a while now he's mm-hmm. taken on some relatively big roles he was you know beast in the x-men films first class days of future past apocalypse things of that nature but he's also done some more artistic you know smaller fare on the side he's been in the favorite he was recently in the menu um and we we talked about him a few weeks ago as well in renfield and so he's done a really really good job at balancing really big franchise projects but also being um a nice supporting player in other you know sort of smaller independent films david cornsweat is most well known for his breakout role in netflix is the politician um i haven't seen the politician and i haven't seen i don't think david cornsweat and anything else mm-hmm. um but that's really what he's most well known for and then tom Brittany is most recognized for his work on projects like greyhound and the outlander and so again these are other things that i've not seen i'm not really that familiar with tom Brittany, but these three are sort of emerging as the front runners for clark kent aka superman opposite of clark kent of course is lois lane lois is pretty much just as important as Superman to the story of what they're trying to do here. And so the three front runners for the casting of Lois Lane right now are Emma Mackey, Rachel Brosnahan, and Phoebe Dynavore. And so Emma Mackey is mostly popular, I think, from Sex Education on Netflix. That's where Mm -hmm. she really became sort of a breakout star. Rachel Brosnahan has been a part of the Emmy-winning show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I know you have watched. Um, She is very much a talented actress and has done some incredible work across the board. And then lastly, Phoebe Dynavore is mostly known for her work on Bridgerton, um, which is, you know, one of the most popular Netflix properties out there. So some pretty well-known faces here, maybe some more than others, but mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about this, this potential, you know, sort of front running pack of, of, of casting news for both Clark Kent and Lois Lane. And also just the fact that apparently they're going to be screen testing some of these actors and actresses right after the father's day, um, holiday that's going to be coming up next weekend so we might be apparently getting really 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 close here to our two primary leads for superman legacy man i love nicholas holt but out of these three 
David Cornsweet is Superman, bro. I'm sorry. Like, if you look at him, bro, <laughs> like, it's something he he has a picture in some publication. I forgot what publication, but he has like a, it's not the the complete Superman swirl, but his hair is like swirled to the side. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that dude is Superman low key. Like he could play the hell out of Superman. The only thing I've seen him in is Pearl. That's the only thing I've seen him in. Um, and I mean, I thought he was fine in that. You know what I'm saying? But I, I see it. I'm sorry. I, Nicholas Holt, I love you, bro. I, as far as actor, I also love the idea of coming into this with somebody who's a little less well-known, right? And Nicholas Holt, at least in our world, <laughs> he's pretty known. Like, between Beast and, shoot, we just watched Renfield and all those other... Nicholas Holt's pretty pretty well-known. I love David Cornsweet being able to come in here and just look like Superman off the bat. And people barely know who he is. Um, but he, we know he still has the acting, the acting chops between stuff like the politician um, and, and whatever else he's been in, right? I... I think he makes sense to me. We'll see what happens, of course, <laughs> at the end of all this. But again, of these three people, I think David Cornsweet might just be my vote. I'm I'm hella biased when it comes to Lois Lane. It's just Rachel Brosnahan. Is just she's just that person. Like I really like her a lot. Her acting chops are crazy, um, and I think she can get it done. The only thing I will say is Rachel Brosnahan is how old is. I just want her to be closest. I want Lois to be as close as age to 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 uh, to Superman as possible. Yeah, she's and a little older for sure. She's than like the, thirty two though. She's not old. Don't get not wrong. old. Not but, old, but like yeah, I we, think uh, we, Phoebe is like twenty seven or something. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I I, I think it, it just depends. You know, it just depends. But again, thirty two is not old, and so you can get it, you could probably get her to look however you want. So I, I'm going to be biased towards Rachel Brosnahan. I really can't help it. Uh, but my second pitch, pick would probably be Emma McKay. I think she looks good. I think she looks like a Lois. Like when I see, that's that's all I ask myself. I just look up a picture of the actor and be like, do they look like this person, or do they look like they they give me that energy? And Emma uh, Mackey definitely also gives me Lois energy. Uh, but again, for now, I'm gonna have to be biased and go Rachel Brosnahan. But I, I these picks I think are fire. I think they're they're these people are established enough to where you can give them the job but also not enough to where you go that's a superstar playing that person because that's not true either none of these people i think are superstars and so i really like these picks i really do yeah i agree about david corn he just so easily looks like superman it, it's almost kind of superman, ridiculous <laughs> that he looks like him in that way I, I i will say about nicholas holt i kind of feel bad for my guy he has gone after a lot Ooh. of big roles and misses a lot, unfortunately. He's landed on his feet very well. Like, again, he's ended up in some really high-profile stuff. He was beast. He's been a part of a franchise, but the guy will be the first to tell you that he's missed out on some major stuff. He went after Batman and lost out to Robert Pattinson. He also had a role up in Mission uh, for Mission Impossible 7, the upcoming Dead Reckoning uh. movie, and missed out on that. And he was supposed to be in Top Gun Maverick and did not get selected for that. So, wow. like... My guy's luck hasn't always been there with like the huge juggernaut franchises necessarily. Um, so a part of me just kind of roots for him in that in that respect. Mm -hmm. But if I'm just being completely honest, David Cornsweet, he looks like him um, just through and through. That, that That's who you would expect to, to look like a Superman and his age appropriate for sure. I think mm -hmm. Nicholas Holt, similar to Rachel Brosnahan, is a little bit older, older. Than, than the other two counterparts. And so that might somewhat work against him because we know James Gunn is looking for somebody that's in like mid to late 20s, like a very, very young Superman and Lois here. Um, and I agree about Rachel Brosnahan. I have not watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but I've seen her in other things, and I'm mostly associated with her. I like her a lot. I think she's an incredible actress. Emma Mackey, I've seen her in 
Death on the Nile. She was pretty good in that. And oh, I think yeah. that she also has a yeah, she also has a really good look too, and I could see her stepping into the role of Lois. But um the screen test with the two characters together is ultimately what's going to be the determining factor for this because the chemistry has to be there. And so I think that that's going to tell them a lot. But ultimately, I have so much faith in James Gunn. The one thing that that man knows how to do outside of writing and directing is casting. He's <laughs> yeah. an incredible person at casting. Like, look at the whole Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Look at what he did with the Suicide Squad. The guy knows how to pick the right people for his roles. And so whoever he decides to go with, even if it's like people that we didn't necessarily list, I guess it's like our preference or picks here. I still have faith that it's going to be the right pick ultimately. So I can't wait to see what that shapes out to be. Um, let's transition and talk about a few gaming items really quickly here. Uh, firstly, I guess to stick within the comic book world, we finally got a gameplay trailer for Marvel's Spider-Man 2, a very, very highly anticipated game coming out this year. We've known that it was going to come out this year, but we were also just waiting to see like, well, what's the release date really going to be? They've been teasing fall. Now it finally has a release date of October 20th. And just shortly before they revealed the release date, they also just rolled out a cinematic slash gameplay trailer, which uh, introduced us to Craven the Hunter in the game with an opening cinematic. And then we also saw actual gameplay with the symbiote suit. We know Venom is going to be pretty much the main villain in, the, in this story, but also some combined gameplay between both Miles Morales and Peter Parker teaming up here. And it was like a 12 minute extended gameplay look. Uh, how how much more excited did this gameplay trailer get you for this game? Because I know we both were already really excited just based off of what they've done with the first Spider-Man game and of course Miles Morales. But how much did this up the ante for you in terms of excitement level? Oh, it turned it up because, of course, you know, we did get those first looks. What was that like a year or two years ago about what it could be? They kind of teased the, the whole Venom thing. And we're like, oh, shoot, this game's going to be crazy. But now actually getting it and having this trailer in our gameplay trailer in our hands, 12 minutes at that is crazy because, you know, you're watching a game. But it's a movie like nobody was mad that it was 12 minutes. I haven't heard anybody say they showed us too much or or dang, they didn't show us enough. It was just like we were watching 12 minutes of a clip of a film is what it feel like a playable movie. And it feels and looks really good knowing that you can start a gameplay clip with symbiote Spider-Man like that's the what you come out the gate with. I I was already sold with that. And then. And then you telling me that Miles and Peter are interchangeable throughout the story like that, like the way in which you're going through the story and then something happens in a cinematic and then you're Miles all of a sudden. How'd you get there? I love that. I love that you're able to play two different Spider-Man. It's almost like that's what the two stands for. You know what I'm saying? You can, move, you can put the two on the front. It can be called two Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, whatever. I love that about it, man. It feels good. The characters feel good. It just feels like it's crazy that this is even more ambitious than the first in Miles Morales. Like, they, they said, okay, how do we make this thing even crazier? They add the symbiote suit. They're adding two more burrows. This game is finna be huge, man. And it just it looks and feels right. And I love I, I love how they, again, start with the darkness of symbiote Peter Parker, man. It's just, yes, there's a moment where it's like, you don't know if he's talking to himself or if he's talking to Miles. It's crazy that the, the, the kind of implications they give there. And yeah, I can't I can't wait to see the game, man. I can't wait. I, Miles has to fight symbiote Spider-Man. It has to happen. I don't know how, I don't know when, but they're going to throw down. We know that for sure. And then and then the Venom stuff that we know is coming, the Craven stuff that starts the cinematic I'm here. I'm here. They they already had me, but you got me again. <laughs> 
yeah, I can't wait to see the addition of Brooklyn and Queens as the new boroughs because a piece of this gameplay trailer, you see Peter with the symbiote suit fighting in a more residential area in Queens, which I, I love that because the first game, it's only Manhattan that you have access to mm -hmm. in terms of like the open world nature of it. We both live in New York, been to Queens. It's definitely more residential. Like there's actual yes. houses, there's regular streets. Like it looks like a lot of other just regular cities. <laughs> yeah, driveways, all sorts of stuff. And it's like, that just opens up a lot of new possibilities that we weren't able to explore in the first one. And we, of course, know like Peter Parker's from Queens. Like it makes a ton of sense mm -hmm. like that they've added that. So I can't wait for that and everything else, man. This game just looks phenomenal. I can't I can't wait to get my hands on it when it comes out this fall. Um, we also just got information that uh, Cyberpunk 27, 2077 Phantom Liberty is going to be dropping this September. This is a, an expansion, an upcoming expansion to Cyberpunk, and so it's going to be dropping this upcoming September. I know you have played the first Cyberpunk, and so what are your thoughts and just sort of excitement level about, you know, sort of this expansion that they're going to be dropping that's, you know, uh, definitely looking to sort of expand that universe and expand that world when it drops this uh, this September? Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because uh, product, CD Projekt Red, whatever the name of their, their company is, when, when they first released Cyberpunk, I just... We all remember, even if you don't play games, <laughs> everybody remembers like it was a shit show. I mean, the bugs were all over the place. It was just not going well and, and barring well for for Cyberpunk, especially this game that had been built up for 13 years for it to only release with all these crazy bugs and things like that. Over time, patches have come out. Things have been fixed. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that Cyberpunk is a coherent game now you can actually pick it up and probably enjoy yourself while playing it i haven't picked it up but i've seen gameplay of it being like stable <laughs> in a game that closer to the game that i think we were looking forward to and so have to bring up this expansion not only because uh, uh i want to just tell people if you ever want to pick up cyberpunk now is probably a good time but in this expansion phantom liberty is it's starring Idris Elba, which is really cool. It's a cool thing to see, you know, uh, uh, Idris Elba and other video game characters. I think Keanu Reeves was part of Cyberpunk a little bit um, as well at some point. But it's really cool, to, I think, to see these movie stars kind of step up and be part of these more cinematic video games. And Cyberpunk is in first person. So there's a couple times you are going to see full-fledged animated video game version of Idris Elba kind of be uh be on your adventure or whatever so uh it, it looks the fact they're coming out with an expansion i think is a good indication that the game is doing fine and that they're coming back to life and then you add on uh somebody like idris elba kind of stepping into uh the game man so yeah it just it just looks cool it looks cool yeah it looks good man i love the whole reboot thing i think they're doing with it because they're not just rebooting it they're changing story elements <laughs> now that they have they're rebooting the series man like you said luke kang is way different place than he was before and it's it's just really cool to see not only that but the gameplay looks smooth they 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 I th they sped it up a little bit mk11 was getting kind of slow there mk10 was, was a little faster mk11 was a little slow this looks really good the graphics look good and the the uh, the um I'm trying to say the uh, uh, fatalities. There we go. The fatalities look more brutal than ever. Um, they they look crazy. So I I'm trying to tell y'all it's the year of fighting games. The only the only thing we're waiting to hear from at this point is a Tekken release date. If Tekken release date say something about August, September, November, it's it's the the year of of, of fighting games, man. So I can't wait to get my hands on MK1. It looks good. I know a ton of people. 
who are excited for this, even more so than they were for Street Fighter. It's something about this that just feels different. And I think people are really excited for this, man. So we'll see what happens. I think that Ed Boone technically was like, this hasn't happened yet. Like Ed Boone himself hasn't confirmed it. In fact, he was like, he tried to, I think, cover it up. He came out, was like, what are y'all talking about? But I think that first pack really leaked and it got like Quanchi in it, Omni-Man, Homelander, like, yeah, and I, I, I really do think he, he was, because uh, just like any other property, everybody has their insiders who leak things, but like they're also really reliable in the things they leak. And I think, I think the guy, the MK guy, was like, "Listen, y'all, Omni Man, Homelander, and Peacemaker are all about to be in this game." Yep, I know, right? So I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's for real. And uh, one other thing they did say is a. Uh, John John Claude Van Damme is making a is going to be a skin for Johnny Cage um, in the in the, in the game, and that's been confirmed. That one has been confirmed. So yeah. it seems like they're about to have a ton of fun with this game. If those other characters are in this game, if that's true, I mean that that's a tough beat for Injustice. That that's kind of a tough break. I mean, Peacemaker is like right there for Injustice. I mean, I don't know what those plans are, and like if they're developing another game, I hope they are, but they that would be. be that would be kind of a tough break to, to miss out on those those really, you know, hyper violent comic book characters that we've seen, you know, on TV and animation. Mm-hmm. But uh, either way, I can't wait to get my hands on that. That'll be that'll be just crazy, crazy good. So can't wait to see. Um, and our last, you know, sort of news item again within the world of gaming, actually, right before we started recording this podcast, we just found out that the first ever open world Star Wars game is going to be coming in 2024. So it's right around the corner, really. And it's going to be called Star Wars Outlaws. Apparently, this is set in between the time period of the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and again, first ever open Star War, open world Star Wars game. Um, we we know we've sort of entered into a new era of Star Wars Star Wars video games. Um, they just recently released Jedi Survivor. I know you and I are both you know sort of starting to dabble and play with that right now, and that's you know gotten a lot of great critical acclaim, especially the first one. Now leading into this one has gotten a lot of praise. But open world Star Wars, I don't even know and and and, and can comprehend how to how to tackle that because Star Wars and the galaxy is just so. It's so huge. It's so expansive. So, of course, they're going to have to confine it to a certain particular planet or area. But it gets me super excited about what it could possibly mean. And it also feels like we're focusing on a story that's not necessarily tied to Jedi or Sith or the Empire. We might be examining something that's a little bit more on the ground, a little bit more related to to the scoundrels of the universe. Some of the yeah. some of the people that commit crimes in the universe, like those really cool elements. So uh, does this get you excited? What, what do you think about just the fact that we're going to get a open world Star Wars game next year? I mean, open world is it now, right? I mean, between Elden Ring and Zelda, woo, things are looking good for in the open world realm. And I think uh, uh, Ubisoft and Star Wars, they've seen an opportunity to be like, why not Elden Ring and Zelda, but it's Star Wars? Hell yeah, I'll buy into that. You know what I'm saying? It'll, it'll always be a rich world in the world of Star Wars, um, no matter which way you take it. And so I think it makes sense. I think clearly there's so many planets out there. I can't even even begin to think if it's like open world and you can go to like other worlds. It, it I don't know how they're going to do it or how they're going to pull it off. Because what's different is Zelda, you're just in Hyrule the whole time. Mm-hmm. In, in, in Elden Ring, you're just in the, the lands between the entire time. Star Wars, they're making it sound like you might be able to go to different planets, which in an open world game sounds nuts to me. I don't know how they're going to get it done, but it sounds like... It might be some really cool stuff coming up there. But I like the idea, man. I love I love that now that they've established something like uh, Jedi Survivor in, in, in Fallen Order, 
uh, with those two games. I think they're they're setting out to try new things, just like they did with that game as well, and how how successful they were with that. And so I love hearing about a game that's about outlaws. <laughs> that is about we got the we got the Jedi version uh, with 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 those other Star Wars games. Now let's get the like you said the scoundrel version or the the bounty hunter version of all these other uh, uh, nooks and crannies of the Star Wars universe. So I think it might be dope, man. I think it will. It's a great canvas to tell new stories. Um, you know, Star Wars is kind of that only franchise, the, that big that big franchise in Hollywood that, that is tapping into all these areas pretty successfully, whether it's live action, television, animation, video games, mm -hmm. toys, whatever you want to, you know, sort of pull into the equation. They're tapping into it, all of it. And, and, you know, despite how you may feel about some of these projects that have rolled out, especially on TV or with the movies, I mean, you can't deny they've hit a stride with video games for sure. And I just can't wait to see them continue to expand this and just work with new developers too because that's also like really cool that mm -hmm. people have the opportunity to step up and tell new stories within the star wars universe and get get away from the, the the closely related jedi stuff that we've gotten for you know 45 years at this point like it's time to it's time to open it up and do different things so i'm, I'm very excited about this one can't wait to get more information and see more footage but folks with all of that out the way that's all we have for this episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we will be back next week because we have to talk about the brand new dc film the flash which is finally somehow releasing in theaters after many many years of waiting after a long history of trouble production we have so much to get to to talk about dc's upcoming film the flash there's going to be so much good stuff that we can get to when we open up that conversation next week so definitely be on the lookout for that episode we're going to go check out the movie and then come back with a full comprehensive spoiler review so plenty to look forward to but until then we will see y'all next time somebody lying about that movie i don't know what's going on yes sir we are audi 5000 please check out our two black jedi and two black sith collection at twoblacknerds.com and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds over two black too nerdy and we out y'all Peace.